when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Oh, hello. You found Waypoints, where the Waypoint staff and friends take a break to nerd out and deep dive on the culture, art, and entertainment that's been inspiring and provoking us lately. Gather around the table once again this week, we've got Kato. Is it the same week? Yeah. Well, it's a different week. No, it's a different this week. week, once again, we are gathered around the okay, table. This sure. week, once again, right. Not, not, to, not, not to pull the curtain back. The listener is listening to this, Ed. Imagine, this week, once again, we have Listener, <laughs> at home, imagine this. Once again, it is a week later. It's a different day. We're not recording this on the same day as the Iowa primary. <laughs> wow, those primary. Uh, it's point. Bernie primary, won. Bernie wow, won. Bernie won. Yeah. They're going to say we jinxed it. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. This isn't. This okay. is wood. That's. Uh, it's the closest thing we it's have. particle board. You can knock yeah, on your head I if did. there's no wood. I knocked on my yeah. head. Yeah. Cool. Uh, <laughs> But it's a week later, and we just gathered once again in the Waypoint Salon, and uh, we are going <laughs> is that the, to... Is that what this is? Yeah. This yeah. Is the Waypoint Salon. I called it the, the studio new, like, like the German oh, new. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Like, I, like the, I like the Waypoint Salon. You mean also the, Naya? Noya? Noya? Noya. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I just see that word written on opening titles yeah. of Legend of Galactic Heroes. Yeah. I don't actually know how it's pronounced. Yeah. I know how a Japanese person says... That word, <laughs> because no, yeah. of because of the way it's said on, yeah. When Rob does his intro, yeah, is it like the way he does it, where yeah. he's like, "Oh, hello!" Like, have you opened a door? Yeah, yeah. 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 And it's like, "Welcome." Yeah, it's yeah. like he's like sitting, sitting at the, the table with the fireplace. We've been Have, waiting seen, for you. have yeah. you ever seen like okay. the old like Playboy TV show yeah. in the '60s? They were sure. like Hugh Hefner just like walking around <laughs> Rob <laughs> party. Rob, Rob almost uh, spit take. Almost had a spit take. <laughs> Oh, hey, I didn't see you. We're going to have a, a wild who, time Who tonight. else is on this podcast? Uh, well, <laughs> that's... Just got to cover this one first. Like, Damn. It's just Kato, Kato yeah. and four mystery guests. Yeah. Like, you know, to be unveiled fair. over the course of the show. <laughs> you can figure out who just spoke later in the show. You'll be quizzed. We also have Patrick Klopek. Hello. And Austin Walker. And oh, the last person is our a, mystery is guest. A mystery guest. <laughs> but I guess we can Who reveal the be? mystery now. Well, a specter is haunting this podcast. <laughs> a specter. It's Gita Jackson. It's Gita Jackson. What's up? <laughs> I've always tried to work that into articles at Kotaku, uh, but I could never make the joke did. quite work. Yeah, the, the, the a, specter a specter is haunting something. The specter of blank. Yeah, but I just never got. It. I did manage to get a lot of times. If you Google my name, Kotaku. And not to sound like the guy who sold you weed in high school, but that's I use that in a lot of leads that no one ever noticed. <laughs> and that and the opening line of Pride and Prejudice is a truth universally acknowledged uh-huh. that. Wow, uh, you were you went up in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> are we gonna do? A, we're we gonna, gonna do, when Emma comes when out. Emma comes we're out. Doing okay. It. Oh we got yeah. To, we got to. Good. 
I got a lot to say about Jane Austen, baby. Oh, so did we. So did we. So did we. <laughs> you can still find all that. One, one could argue Jane Austen time. ended our movie podcast. <laughs> but but on such a high note. Yeah. Yeah. We just, you know? Yep. I don't think that it ended so much as it retired to a wonderful. We raised it to the rafters. Yeah, well, I think it, it, it retired to a wonderful home in the countryside to live out its life with its true love. Much like the main character of Uncut Gems. Fuck. Uh, Whoa. Which, <laughs> God. So this is going to be again. What happened? Next one. I do the soundtrack playing. Good. Uh, so, toward, put the microphone in front of it. There, there we, we go. go. Just imagine the cosmos unfurling in front of you. Yo, I listened to this on the subway yesterday. Great soundtrack. It made me feel like I was flying. <laughs> it was incredible. Which is a good feeling to have on the New York subway. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Because chances are you're not moving. It just made me... It made me... I was listening to the Softy Brothers on the Chapo podcast, which if you don't like the Chapo guys, you can listen to this one. They don't do anything that and the, any of the things that annoy a lot of people. <laughs> they literally just talk about No old-timey ironic slurs? No. Mm. No, they don't do that. I mean, I, Felix is there. Amber <laughs> is not there. <laughs> that is the key. Um, and But they really annoyed all their hardcore fans because they were like, this is just a movie podcast. And they were like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> we're just talking we about just want to talk gems. about this movie. And like the way that they talk about New York and the experience of living in New York, and I listened to that music... And just on the train on the way home yesterday, I had this really incredible moment of like every single person on this train is a human being with their own story. And True. that is like a thing I feel like Damn. is deeply implanted into There's me a, by this there movie. Is a ger- there actually is a German word It's not, word it's for fake. That. It's, it is? That, it comes, well, it's the not realization fake, that everyone it's a has great, a... It's a great word that I use. Yeah. Uh, it was invented on a, on a... A site that kind of creates new wow. words, but then it got internet. it got disseminated in such a way that it has since kind of become a neologism, a neologism which is sonder. Uh, sonder means the profound feeling of realization that everyone, including strangers passing the street, has a life of, uh, as complex as one's own, which they are constantly living despite despite one's personal lack of awareness of it. Which I'm glad there is a word for. Yeah, I see. Now. I just saw that cited in one of those things going around. I was like, damn, I it didn't is realize from there was a term it was that. or it was from the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows, which uh, I believe was a Tumblr. That was popular like eight or nine years ago, and that is that is. See, I feel like if I'd seen that citation, I would have cottoned on to the fact that like <laughs> mm, maybe this isn't real. Like, yeah, but but it is real. It is a real feeling. Yes, uh, absolutely. it describes a feeling. Absolutely. Just like I felt so I guess suddenly was... like a deep sense of community with these people on the train with me. It was like tired old people just living their lives, mm-hmm. going home at the end of a long day, and feeling as if. I owed something to them as just a fellow member of this train, a fellow person on it. There's this really interesting in part of the Softy Brothers directed Uncut Gems. They're uh, two, two brothers, you know, that direct movies. I don't know <laughs> why siblings go into the movie directing business together so often, but they did it's also. Hard. It's it so is it's good really... to have some help. There you go. <laughs> I just can't think of a thing I'd like to do less with my family. <laughs> like, That's like I don't want to work enterprise. like a ten hour day with my fucking uh-huh. dad or some no. shit. I'd kill him. <laughs> like, um, it's they were talking about how they were. It actually really changed my perspective. I I they made a short film that was just about that New York experience of when someone's being aggro on public transit and mm. people just go ape shit. And like you need to kick that guy off. And I used to look at that as a sense of like real camaraderie of like the people of the train when like someone's just being aggro for no reason on rush hour and everyone on the train is like, yo, you got to cut that shit out. 
And they did a short film where one of the scenes included someone going aggro on a bus and they were going to use the real public transit bus and like real people as extras and sort of just see what happened. And one of the softies got really, really aggro. And, you know, they had the buses going through a park. So they had a good 10 minutes where they could get footage. And he was kicked off the bus before they reached the other side of the park. And one of the guys that was in there, one of their plants that had a microphone in their pocket was uh, was in there. And at one point, that guy just said to the people on the bus who were had all banded together and were like, you know, really, really going ham on one of the softies. I was like, listen, you guys just want to beat someone up. That's all you want to do. You just want to assault somebody. And like, I had this moment of just like, the next time I get frustrated with someone who's being angry on a bus, I'm going to think more about why they're angry. <laughs> and like, what what is happening there? Because that person is too a person. Like, their, their need to be on public transit is not more than my need to get to my job. <laughs> it's not. It's just you have to respect all human people. And I think that's a huge part of what I really liked about Uncut Gems. It's like, it asks you to respect the humanity of someone that if you met them in real life, you would not. Uh-huh. <laughs> You would Whoa. just hate this motherfucker. <laughs> uh, can we set up for the listener who who is listening to us because they like to hear us talk about movies and culture, but has not seen this movie? What this movie is and what what is interesting about it? Yeah. So, uh, Uncut Gems is a character study uh, set in a it's, a it's a period character study. <laughs> set a heart in, attack? You mean? Yeah. It, it is a. It is an extended heart attack feeling type movie. <laughs> it's a character study of uh, this compulsive gambler and high end jeweler in the in the Diamond District, uh, Howie Ratner, played by Adam Sandler, and it is the story of two things: him trying to desperately get out of a mountain of gambling debts that have crossed into the threshold of being physically dangerous to be carrying around. Uh, he like when the movie opens. He already has uh, collections goons coming from his bookies to collect on what he owes. Concurrently, the scheme he has hatched to bring in an illegal opal, uh, basically stolen, the legality of what is stolen, what is taken from a mine. Right. But it was a, it, it is a gem gathered illicitly from a mine in Ethiopia and shipped to him on the sly that if he can sell it at auction, he is convinced will bring in uh, it's the million dollar million score. Dollars. Right, this yeah. is the life changing gem that is going to arrive and not only pay off all his debts but set him up for life. Um, and these two things are happening concurrently, and it is about the ways they are interconnected, and also about Howie's character flaws that cause him to continue to set spirals of chaos and danger and risk in motion. And the way those decisions ripple out across the people in his life and his family. Um, and it's all done in a very, uh, I think voyeuristic is the wrong word, but cinema verite. You, you, you are over how we should. in shoulder. the room with him. Yeah. Yeah. There Yesterday. are a number of scenes specifically that have that. I guess we should say we're going to talk spoiler filled for yeah. this. Yeah. So it's just really as a heads up. Difficult. I mean, we could have a 20 minute conversation yeah, without so. talking about spoilers. Yes. I mean, I think this is the only review you need if you want to get into it before we talk about spoilers. Mm. By the time this pod comes out, it will be on Netflix. So just go watch it and come back. Uh, yesterday, Rob Zachney 
Uh, it's coming to Netflix tomorrow, I the day after we record this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So wow. by the time this is out, it will be on Netflix and you should watch it. Um, yesterday, Rob Zachney came to the office, my first time seeing him not at a Dodgers game. And he came <laughs> up to me immediately and was just like, uncut gems was like two hours of someone having their hand around my throat. And I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep, uh-huh. yeah, for just two hours. I, and like, they what? don't go any farther than that. But, but enough to pr- like that little bone in the base of your throat yeah. where a little pressure you just feel like so vulnerable and yeah. terrified. Yeah. I think the first I think I'd gotten enough warning the first 45 minutes to an hour I was actually pretty much okay with. Yeah. Um the I mean certainly from the auction scene forward which is about two thirds of the way through yeah. the film yeah. I was all the way on tilt but I actually think there's <laughs> even an earlier moment I we'll talk it was specifics in, in a little bit but but there was this like constant constant uh uh uh, kind of in, slow increase and then a very fast increase of, of stress. Um, and I think one of the most fascinating things the film does is make this character who is miserable and irredeemable and like d- deeply just toxic and and cruel and small and petty who you still want to see it work out for. Um, and there are ways to do that that I think are themselves kind of irredeemable and and don't bring any value or meaning to a work. But I think there was something about this that, uh, especially setting it in 2012 as a period yeah. piece, that give you that feeling of like, some of this is just out of his fucking control and some of it is, some of it's very in his control. And I think some of the smartest things that they do are show his joy at at when things are going right. Um, and show the uh, there's such a, a smart thing that happens pretty early on, which is he p- makes some smart plays. He ma- he makes some successful plays that don't pan out for reasons that are out of his control. And that is such a great moment that brings you in to start rooting for this guy who you want nothing to fucking d- to do. And with. you also know how he how he got here. Yes, like yes. there is so yes. much about that. Informs- Though there are some reveals that are fascinating yeah. around who he owes money to and shit. For me, yeah. I think it was that the first time he makes a deal and it doesn't work out yeah. for reasons that are not in his control. There was that guttural, just sort of that's not fair. That's not fucking fair. That's not fair to him. <laughs> like, let him win. Yeah. Let him win. This movie would be over right now. And that and just like <laughs> I, well, no, he would take that money and it would just yeah that and. Honestly, his relationship with Julia Fox, who yeah. he seems like in the beginning of the movie, I'm like, okay, he's got a hot young girlfriend, whatever, whatever. But in the middle of the movie, you understand that they do love each other. And they're like, probably, this is her fucking debut also, by the she's way. She's fucking incredible. Wow. She's yeah. amazing. And she has a perfectly globular ass. Globe, <laughs> like, it's like two globes. It is like two globes. It's beautiful. She is a beautiful Gita's woman. saying the things we can't say on this podcast. I'm a bisexual woman <laughs> and I love butts. Um, I, Rob I just thought took she was his glasses off. An amazing act. I thought Adina Menzel was also really incredible mm-hmm. in this. Just yeah. like a woman... That is made out of hate. Like, that has just lived with this guy for oh, so that long. Kitchen scene. Fully oh, deserved. Like, absolutely deserved hate. Like, she deserves to just not give him a chance. He doesn't deserve a chance. He's tried it a lot of times, and he. Well, usually, that character anymore. is always like going to be portrayed as like. Uh, unfair like, uh, like or like oh oh baby I'll forgive you okay mm-hmm. like like that's always like the archetype no she and wants to cut his goddamn no. head and off they even, and they even set that character up multiple times to be like okay you're gonna now understand why they've gotten to this point and every time it's just like no fuck you uh-huh. fuck you like when she's wearing the dress yeah and like, they have that encounter is just beautiful the way she just eviscerates well, him and has and has 
openly turned her her daughter against him. Like there's yeah, that great yeah. sequence with the daughter who is like, <laughs> he's in, really in trying to connect with her, and, and she's, she's like, like, no, well, I already whatever. know all your fucking dirt. Like it's clear, mo- like you know. Or are you gonna go spend some time at the apartment? Oh, the apartment. Yeah, going to the apartment. Okay. God, well, so but uh, but also there's this look that passes between Adina Menzel and their daughter that's like. We know the shit stories how he spins for us, like the yeah, yeah, yeah. the knowing this look of like guy. how yeah. many times have we had this conversation and he's doing it again, yeah. and now nothing else needs to be said. They don't even like it's in one ear out the other because like how he might mean it in the moment, but he doesn't mean it in a sense that he will follow through on anything, yeah. right? Like how he how he is a character who only lives in right. the moment. This is one of the things that like has alienated from his from him from his family is that. You see him trying to check the boxes of like being present for family events yeah. and such. But the nature of family is family is about collective history. It's about sharing life. Howie is a man who the past doesn't exist. The future doesn't exist. There's only this moment and what feels good in this moment. If the family can make him feel warm and love for a minute, then family is good. If it bores him, if it makes him feel a little bit trapped, family is bad. He's got to go. Yeah. And we catch Howie at this moment of like, his son is the last one who maybe still has any patience for him. Right. Um, his younger son might already be lost. His, his middle son is still is at that age where he takes after dad a little bit, views him as kind of a hero. Well, identification God. at that point is how he defines masculinity is like through his father. He's like at the point where he's like, okay, being a man is what being what my dad is. Yeah. But, that shot he, of his of his uh, bedroom that has like all of the collectibles on the mm-hmm. wall of like the action figures and Funko Pops and like yep. rare. Yep. Like GameStop exclusives <laughs> yeah. uh, is so good because it's like this is how he would emulate his father in a way that's like relevant to his own interests. It's such a small like detail, but but that set uh, dressing is so important with communicating how he looks up to his father. But but I love I love like how it sets up this moment when he briefly flirts the idea of hey maybe I can reconnect with my family maybe I can put this back together, and it's like no we're already at that stage of. A breakup or a divorce where there's not even necessarily the hurt anymore. There's just the boredom and fatigue. Mm-hmm. Like, like we're still stuck here. We haven't done the formalities. Yeah. Like it's already decided. Yeah. Just, the yeah. system just needs to do it. You don't matter Can to you me. go already is right. like yeah. basically what his entire family is expressing to him through <sighs> their actions and their words and their looks. But with his relationship with Julia, like they both live or like enmeshed with the scam. Like all that Julia does throughout all the movie is scam every single man that talks to her because she knows that she's beautiful and she knows what it does to men. And she can't, she scams as she breathes, just very similar to Howie. Like, she can't help it in a lot of ways. And because they both are the only people in their lives that understand what it is like to be always trying to turn your thing into a better thing, they are the only people that can emotionally connect with each other. They love each other. It's actual real love. And it's fucked up, but it's real. I, I don't know. I found that really beautiful. You need someone no, who it's, can secure the bag for you like Julia does. You really do, though. It's <laughs> a metaphor for all relationships. For all relationships, really. I, can, we, can we walk through the movie a little bit and, like, spoilers on, like, all the way. Let's talk through some scenes and shit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So... That opens with go ahead. Opening scene. I was not expecting. I was like, am I watching? Did they send me the right screener? Did they send me the right screener? Yeah, it says Austin Walker. Yeah, it's, I know it does that. But is this is Leonardo James? DiCaprio about to pop out? Right, that's exactly what I thought. I was like, I did, yeah. am I watching Blood, Blood Diamond? Diamond. Do I, yep. I don't didn't see that movie. Did it start like this? Um, so yeah, like the it opens with this this kind of uh, in, like this insurrection at this 
uh, mine in in Ethiopia. Uh, I guess there's an accident and and there's like guy comes are out pissed. with a compound fracture. Yeah, it's gross. They show that yeah. broken bone. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and in the, in the kind of like chaos, uh, a couple of people go in to the mine and find this rare uncut like opal that's still like it's it's uh, it's kind of like a. Uh, smaller than a football, bigger than a baseball. Uh, uh, that is like part rock, like you just like brown rock, and then little looks at the, the the gem inside the opal inside, which is this rare black opal, uh, which is much more valuable. We learned than red opals, um, not only for its beautiful quality and the fact that it reflects all sorts of different colors, and and you can look into it, but also because it seems to have semi magical properties, <laughs> cosmic energy, cosmic yeah. it has a cosmic yeah the energy cosmic as Marvel would say, um, and we well, learned qu- it sets up one of the first like real whiplash gear shifts for me, which is yes. we get the. We see them react to the gem, and we get the shot of the zoom in on the facet of the gem. Right, and we go into it, and for a moment, and then the soundtrack begins. The score mm-hmm. begins, and is this? It is this beautiful, old, like synth heavy, yeah, uh, like ambient soundtrack that sounds like it's a score for a sci-fi movie or a nature documentary. It was, it was like cosmos. John Carpenter was doing something yeah. much more chill. Yeah, if John <laughs> Carpenter did. John Carpenter just John got high. Carpenter, it was just like, you know what? It, I'm going to leave my hands on the keys for a little a bit. A serial killer with a knife is not well, chasing like, me down. Evangelist is what it reminds me of, honestly. some evangelist but, stuff, yeah, for we sure. We go through that, and it's like, what? okay, now what movie am I watching? I'm still waiting for the part where it's a, a story about an inveterate New York gambler, and instead we're soaring through the cosmos. And I think that also sets up this tonally, this movie is going to be street level. It's going to be over the shoulders of these characters. But its mind is also always... Galaxy-raining. Yeah, it's always a bit elevated over it, though, right? It's always like seeing these things in the broader context. Yes, like in the moment, this is a movie about two guys who just figured out how they can turn this mind accident to their advantage for a second. This is their play. Now we're going to see the other end of that play. But also these are two moats in the mm-hmm. cosmos and also the 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 black opal introduces like the thematically rich aspect of both class but like the experience of living in diaspora where he makes a huge point of saying like this was mined by ethiopian jews right and black he, like, jews black jews this connects us yeah we are both members of a diaspora yeah. that is broader and there are parts of our diaspora that are not yet brought in this in some way connects us to our own people yeah yeah, um, and he does that to Kevin Garnett. The the setup of this movie is you see that opal, you move through the opal until finally you're instead of moving through the opal, moving through the colon of uh, of Howie, who is uh, getting his colon checked for cancer. You're up Adam Sandler's you're butt, all the yeah. way up his butt. Uh, <laughs> it's a camera shot of that, and then he goes to his his place of business. He owns a he owns a a shop in the Diamond District. Uh, it very importantly has like a number of locked doors that you have to be buzzed into. Uh, and inside you meet his whole staff, which includes Julia, who is his mistress, uh, his girlfriend at this point. It's very clear. This is not a secret at this point with with his wife. Um, but also um, uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character. Uh, what is his name? Why am I blanking? Uh, it? It's a D name. No, it's not. Uh, uh, Damani. 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 Uh, who is like his connection to black culture. Damani brings him black celebrities, rappers, um, you know, uh, artists, musicians, uh, sports, you know, athletes um, who are going to shop for very expensive jewelry. Uh, And uh, very quickly we get this whole setup where it becomes very clear that, like you said, loan sharks have sent some goons to get shit from him. Uh, He is immediately uh, out of control inside, not in control of his own space, um, the the goon takes some stuff from him, 
The and goon who appears to have a bullet wound oh, in yeah. and out scar on his neck. So like He's this done is, dirt. This, this is not yeah. yeah, this is not like This is not a guy you fuck with. Yeah. Right. This is not a guy who has not been in it. This right. is not a he's not new to this shit. Uh and eventually you know, as he does a, a number of times throughout the movie, uh, uh, Howie, you know, uh, kind of uh, uh, placates him and says, like, here's a little bit of money. Here's some, take this, whatever. Please leave right now. And then he turns to Kevin Garnett and kind of one of the big through lines is that while, you know, Lakeith Stanfield's Damani wants to sell <laughs> Kevin Garnett some fake rollies, maybe some, uh, some you know, clean, clean his earrings and do some, like, smaller things, uh, Adam Sandler character Howie gets this this opal and is so enamored with it that he immediately is like, I have to show this to someone. And I think this is interesting because it's not part of a play. I don't think he wants to sell this to Kevin Garnett. He's just like, I someone here. I can tell that Kevin Garnett. Well, by the way, I just want to be clear. I'm saying Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett is is a basketball player. He he played for the Celtics. He was very successful for the Celtics, and he's playing himself here. That yeah. is, mm-hmm. I I'm not just saying Kevin end Garnett of career. Is, Kevin Garnett is playing end of career. End of career. Kevin, Kevin Garnett. Garnett. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kevin Garnett deserved a best supporting yeah. actor. Oh, he's so oh my fucking good yeah. in this movie. For this. He um, is incredible. I did not know he had this in him. Yes. <laughs> and Kevin Garnett falls for this opal. He sees this opal. It pulls him in. We get this. I think a little goofy sequence. Of him seeing the power cosmic, getting a flashback of his own childhood, the history of blackness, the history of the earth writ large. Uh, and he's like, I have to have this opal. How you got to let me hold this. Like, I, I'll buy this for, from you. And I was like, no, no, no. It's up for auction. An important thing to remember. It's up for auction on Monday. See you there. I'll, right, I'll see you there. Basically, if you want this opal, you can come. You can come to the auction. He's like, but let me hold it just for a night. I can tell this is going to make me go crazy on the court tonight because I'm playing the 76ers uh, in the playoffs, and I'm gonna have a crazy good game if you let me just hold on to this and like sap its energy a little bit, just feed off of it. Um, and he says yes for some reason. He says yes because it's Kevin Garnett. Right? Well, because also Kevin Garnett's gonna give him his championship ring. Right. But that happens after. That's part of that deal. That's, yeah, like, it's, like he doesn't deal. know that. He's already agreed to give it yeah. when then no, Kevin Garnett essentially like, says, he's like, like, demands collateral. He will not like, hand it over and give less your, is collateral. Your championship ring, which immediately he's like, oh, I can then flip that at the pawn shop, get some cash. Oh, that's the make first a heart bet. attack. It's, it's the like first you heart leave and then you get, fuck. <laughs> that's like when I understood oh. who this person was. Yes. He was not saying anything that he would not immediately go back on. Right. Like he was going to pawn that ring for cash. And because he was sure he would be able to get it back. Yeah. Right. And I think was he sure? No. no. We see well, things well, around no. him all he, the time. He is he's, sure in the sense that he is sure of anything right. in the moment. Right. Like, he's not lying. He's He might be lying to himself, but he's not lying to other people. Correct. He, he believes, believes he will have, the, he surely believes he will have the money to come back and get right. that before Friday or whatever the deadline whatever the was. Deadline well, is. and it's this weird, it dawns me now I'm sitting at, like, that I'm sitting here. He and Kevin Garnett also share something in that scene they're both at the beginning of a run. Right. Yes. Like, yes. they are both about to go off. Like, and <laughs> they're, like, yes, they are up against it. Like, Kevin Garnett is entering that late career phase. Like, he he comes across, I think it's a beautiful performance, he comes across like a, like a guy who is looking for that edge. It's not mm-hmm. in him anymore. So he's starting to think, like, with some magical thinking, like, where else, like, how do, how do I get it back? How do I make, you know, the flow of events come back to me a little bit? Yeah. And so I think the other connection he has with Howie in this moment, even though they don't know it, is they both feel it. They both feel that, like, they are about to go off on a run. Yeah. And Howie sees it in Garnett. 
and he becomes sure he he becomes he does have a sure thing. It is his knowledge that Kevin Garnett is about to light up the Sixers in this playoff series totally. and have one of those like late career where did this come from bursts. Totally. Do you So well, I I feel like one other sure thing though that he has is that he had already talked to somebody about that opal. And he had gotten a price that he was betting that that he thought was a sure thing. Right. Right? And we'll get to exactly what happens at the auction, but to me, there's like a, a lot of these, there. yeah, there's there's absolutely this like he will be able to get that ring back from the pawn shop because he knows that auction's gonna go off and he's gonna get way more than what he pawned it for, right? Right? Like there is a one sure the auction after the it deadline? is, but I think he's thinking. I think the way he thinks about the world is I always have two or three days to play with, right? Right? I always can say I because he goes home. past the deadline in the movie, yeah, exactly. exactly. And I think he, that's he part always of his thing. thinks he can talk his way into it, and yeah. he's. He, why would he think any different? He's right every <laughs> single time in this movie. So before we get to the first thing that he's right about and is unfair, I just want to pause and say that opening scene is so good at setting tone, setting the sort of techniques that are going to be used throughout the film. Mm-hmm. That So it's like a high-quality, expensive diamond showroom, again, behind multiple locked doors that you have to get buzzed into. But it is not... Right, so I'm when I say high quality, I mean expensive. I mean yes. expensive for us. But it's I mean, old. what they show off in the in yes. the store is uh, a f- diamond encrusted Furby. Furby. Yeah, he's Furby got like, on the a sort chain of like, where you can make the eyes move. Yeah, he has the sort of like shitty lab diamond jewelry that I love watching videos of on YouTube and have since this movie. This is before this movie. This was is set. where this is I the bet era. like uh, they got that uh, SpongeBob chain. A hundred percent, absolutely. That is a hundred percent the case. <laughs> yeah, uh, that guy's name is. Either it's either Krista Jeweler or it's God, who is my other Mr. Krista Jeweler is one of them. There's another one who I can't remember the name of, and I feel bad because I watch so many of this dude's videos. Uh anyway, uh higher than a motherfucker, flyer than a plane is what he always would say mm. about his his show. Room. Naturally. Uh uh anyway. Di- uh, Diamond, I think it's NYC Diamond Empire. Anyway, not to <laughs> shout out weird YouTube. <laughs> weird diamond chain collections, but uh, I'm on that. The thing I love about this scene is despite the fact that it is supposed to be a place where like you go to drop tens of thousands of dollars on diamonds, it is noisy as shit. The way the sound is mixed in this movie, especially Mm -hmm. whenever there's more than like three characters in a scene, is so abrasive and stressful because you can hear more of conversations that don't matter than you need to hear, right? Yeah. Uh, You could hear someone trying to like sell something in the background while Howie is over here working on the A plot. And the other thing you're hearing is not the B plot. It's not like, oh, if you listen, there's a That will never come up again. It will never come up again. But it's meant to like overstimulate you. Yeah. And that's so well done. It really set off my fight or flight. It, response. It Honestly, feels I had like, to take a break. <laughs> it feels like that's what his brain is doing. Yes. Yes. Like that is where yes. his own yes. internal monologue is. He's it's talking to think- you, but he's actually looking over there, yes. thinking about the next move. Yeah, right? he's looking for plays. So, yeah. The one of the things that this reminded me of is um it's a it's a fever pitch that a lot of Spike Lee movies build to mm-hmm. eventually. Sort of mm-hmm. the last act of a Spike Lee movie is often like, okay, now events are overtaking these characters. Characters set things in motion. Now there are events happening and now everything is beginning to accelerate. It also reminded me of the the last day of uh, Henry Hill's Freedom and Goodfellas, right? right? It's got that like yeah. everything has catastrophic consequences, uh, uh, consequences attached to it. And everything is being driven by this sheer, I can get ahead of this. Right. I can like, yes, I am falling, but I can catch myself. And the entire movie feels that way. And just thinking about it and talking about like that that texture, 
it is an exhausting movie. How he's exhausting. How do you live like this? It yeah. is But brutal. it's where this character, Howie, where he thrives. He actively makes his life stressful. He loves the stress. It's where he feels alive. It's the only way he really feels like right. connected to his own humanity, his own life, is by creating situations where he can hit the jackpot, where he can be the underdog that won. Right. We will get to that line, but the line that has become a meme, I didn't understand where the inflection was on this is this is how I win. I'd seen that for weeks, and I thought it was, this is how I win. In other words, I have a plan that I'm going to put into action. But in that sequence, which comes towards the kind of climax of the film, it's him making uh, trying to explain that, that while Kevin Garnett wins by demolishing someone else on the court, winning for Howie is concocting plans, making big bets, taking risks, and, and succeeding. And when I, we'll get there, because yes. I think the scene is so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But the, what he does with the money that he is now scammed out of yes. Kevin Garnett. yes. Is make this fucking insane sports with Mike bet. Francesa by Francesca, the way, Francesca yeah. rather uh, by the way, which is so fucking funny to me. He's good. <laughs> He's good. It's just him. He comes He's not like himself. an oily sports book. Yes, yes, yeah. he, he does. Yeah. Uh, so I just looked up an article on Thrillist. So I didn't understand the gambling in it. They say it in a way, and people react to it in a way where I knew that what he was doing was something really stupid. Uh-huh. And he like talks for so long that I knew that this bet was very elaborate. Right, Patrick, you loved this because uh, we were talking about it last night. Yeah. Well, uh, so it's uh, Patrick I, knows I, all about the three way. Parlay. <laughs> I do. I just do call do, Jason. I do, Schreier, do, I do, do small amount of like of bettings on the side in like five dollar increments. But so this is more related to the second bet he does because we blew through it and I I was watching it with my wife and I wasn't sure if she quite understood the gravity of the bet because they blow through it and it, you've probably heard the term parlay. Yeah, but, but like you maybe don't like the movie doesn't like stop to like really explain what's going on and so it wasn't until like the second bet where like pause the movie and I was like do you. Like, right. I want to make sure, like, you understand exactly what j- he, the bet. It's like, oh, yeah, like, it's multiple bets. I was like, no. I mean, yes. yes. But I was like, if he does not make, he needs all these bets to play off simultaneously. The first bet, if the tip-off does not go his way. It's done. The whole bet's over. Yeah. All of it's null. She, no, no, no. Like, it's, it just gets to become a lesser bet. It's like, no. The bet is null and void. You need all of them to play together, which is why you can make, you know, turn 100,000 into a million. And... Once she understood that, she's like, this movie's way more stressful now that I understand <laughs> so, everything that needs to occur. I got the uh, the actual things that happen other okay. than the tip. So Celtics need to win by one point, at least one point. Celtics are winning win. at halftime, which is also not a fucking guarantee. Uh, Garnett has more points than his projected total, which was why would you— 26 or 25, yeah. right? <laughs> so he was like a good player at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Garnett has more rebounds than his projected total. Garnett has more blocked shots than his projected total. And also a lightning bet, a $1,000 lightning bet on the Celtics. For every point they cover above the spread, he right. wins $1,000. But if it's under, he loses $1,000. So that was the bet that he makes with Mike, Mike Francesca early on. He makes that lightning bet. And and he's like, no, I don't want to take this. Is are you serious? And he's like, yes, I'm very serious. Here's the money. I'm good for the money. He doesn't give him the money. But I mean, if he gave him, if he gave him the money, that would actually have been the no. He gives him the money. Does he actually give him the cash? He's got, he's got the wad of cash You're in right, the envelope because that's in the envelope. This is how it becomes photo. a thing later, right? Uh, yeah. Um, and he makes that bet. Uh, super important. He makes that bet, and it pays off. He gets very excited. <laughs> he gets he gets very excited. <laughs> uh, and. We get some shot. We get some like moments of him 
but Julia, I'm skipping over stuff here, but whatever. Yeah. Like, he has this relationship. We kind of see a little bit of his relationship with, with Julia. It's a great scene where he's hiding in the closet. That scene is good. <laughs> yeah, that scene rips. Uh, I like the scene. I do wonder if the Safties actually think that that happens when you text a girl sexily about something. And is that not what happens? Sexy she's, not, she's not, like, super into it like that? That's well, usually not... you're just in bed. Right. You know, also, with the covers over your head. He and you're into it. He wasn't much effort at all. No. So you're wearing <laughs> not a good sense You're wearing sweatpants, you know? Yeah, I don't put crackers. on the bra and panties for a picture, and then I take it back off and, and I get like, back I in my bed. bed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I really like the earlier scene with them when they first introduced that character where she's like, do you want to fucking, do you want to cuddle or not? Like, do you, I need to like, I basically you, need to baby you right now. I can tell you're, you're fucking on one. Lay down, Howie. Yeah, and he's like legitimately mad for her for not showing up to work. Uh-huh. And like, Which is fair. He's, he's right, but she's still like, you're not actually mad about that. Come yes. to bed. Yes. <laughs> he's like, okay, you're right. Like, um, well, just one thing about please. the three-way parlay, though. I think the other thing that begins to become a theme in this movie is the notion of return. Return right. on investment. One of the things that, like, he places bets that pay off huge, but they're insanely high risk, right? right? And that's that increasingly is the only action he wants to play for. Like, my Francesca's character, Francesca's character doesn't want to do the lightning action. He's like, you don't, you don't want any part of that. Right. Because, you know, look, I'm your book, but this is an informal relationship. We're also, like, acquaintances. This is a bad idea. Yeah. Howie's at a point where he's, like, he wants it. He, like, not only because the payouts get swingier, but also because that is increasingly what he's looking for. The safe, you know... Get, get a like one third return on what you lay down for a bet for like picking that. That's boring. which might that's cover shit. him, which yeah. might get him out of all of the debt he's in. Yeah, he doesn't want that action. The gem would get him out of the debt right. too. He, but that's boring. Right. Like return on investment, like doubling your money. That's boring. Who wants to do that? How he wants hundred to one. He wants. Yeah. You know, he those are the odds he wants to play for. Those are the payouts he wants. And that's one of the other things driving this is this is a guy who has a su- successful business. This is a guy who could probably like be making a decent amount of money just playing, placing smart bets with different sports books. That's not what Howie's into. Howie wants to win the big bets on the long odds. Yeah. And that is kind of symbolic of like what this character and what the culture he's a part of uh like in terms of business, this is how this is increasingly what drives our economy, right? right? That yeah. doubling your money, reliable returns, stable business model, fuck that. I, I want like everything. It's also related to sort of the intergenerational trauma of being a someone who lives in the diaspora. Where in order to it's it's you know, in order to get half as much, you have to do twice as much, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Or you can't be successful as just a middle class person. In order to prove to the people <laughs> whose culture who are not letting you you're not letting you into the majority culture, this is how we how we wouldn't fit in at a normal business, you know? He's not actually that wrong with money. Normal and business people can't work for him. They lose their minds. They lose their minds. he's so but, out there. But it's not like he's unsuccessful. So in order to prove to them that he is a successful man, he needs to be much richer than them. And he needs to prove that he worked harder than them. And, like, the pain is part of it. Oh, yeah. The pain. Yeah, the risk is, like, it's... That's what he's... Like, that's... The bigger doubt someone has that he can pull it off, yeah. that's more self-worth to him to try and pull it off. Yeah. yeah. I also think it's a super interesting uh, juxtaposition with basketball as the choice sport here, right? Uh, it's another can, thing a can, lot of black people take totally, basketball. Yeah. But also success in basketball and playoff basketball specifically is not about big wins. Success in playoff basketball is about consistency, being able to win by one point five times in a row. 
right? That is not the act. It's like an ironic given the where those two characters end up, right? They both want to win. They both want to crush the opposition. They both want to win in ways that are dramatic. You know, the, the big speech that he ends up giving is like, Kevin, you're going to go out there and you're going to want to you're going to want to beat them and not just beat them, but beat them into the ground. You're going to want to like score thirty more points than you actually need to to score just to show them who you are. Yeah. But that doesn't actually win the game. The thing that wins the game is just I beat them. We beat them five times out of seven, right? Yeah. Um, uh, or we were for, you know, first to, first to, does that, first to four, times four, four times. Out. I was like, that's not right. First to four. And that is like such an interesting flip on, cause if they had done the Super Bowl, right? You can, or if they done playoff football, football playoffs, yeah, it's a you, coin flip. It's 50, a coin 50. flip. And you can win on those with the big wild Hail Mary play. Right. The, the Hail Mary play doesn't exist, in, doesn't basketball. exist in basketball unless you set up a close enough situation that consistently the whole game you're you're one to one with the other side and that distinction and like what the outcomes are reflecting those two broader strategies of success is yeah, really basketball is a grind in way exactly. football is not and in a way that winning these big bets is not but he's playing them like a grind he's playing them like one play after another he's playing a football game you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. he goes on drives yeah, and like is this drive going to give me a touchdown or not yeah, uh-huh. it's really interesting well, he doesn't another... settle for field goals no he does not settle for field goals another interesting like thematic wrinkle on top of this is that this movie takes place during Passover and this is a deeply Jewish movie and Passover is the story of liberation from bondage Um, and that is mostly what Howie is seeking to escape from is bondage bondage is self-inflicted let's be real Uh, I was going to say if you asked him what is is holding him back like I think he would get he uh, uh, has no idea. He thinks everything's against him. Right. And everything is like a nebulous The world doesn't believe force. in him. Yeah. But he thinks he can escape it. And that idea of liberation is so important to him. So much so that I feel like like he puts himself into situations that he needs to be freed from. At, because he... Can't just <laughs> enjoy his family. and right. Like, it's clearly, like, his house, that's probably all paid for by the legitimate business, right? And you look at that house and it's like... It's a nice house. Bro, you're doing nice house. you're doing well. Yeah. Like you're, you're you've probably well, got a million dollars. His family dollar is loaded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's <laughs> not family. that's not enough for him. That he hasn't escaped. Yeah. The chains that he's trying to get past. Yeah. Like he has to artificially put on new ones. Right. Yeah. His absolutely. family, who includes his loan shark. Well, so, by the <laughs> way, which <laughs> is yes. the best oh fucking reveal we want to get to. Amazing. Yes. Uh, first of all, Peter uh, Bogosian, I think, is the is, Eric is Arno. Eric Bogosian. Yeah. Um, Turns yeah, in right. such a great performance Dude. as Arno the Lone Shark because from the first time he is present while Howie's getting roughed up, he has this look of regret and shame as it's happening yeah. that makes you think like Arno might be a bookie, but like he is not built for this part of the business. Right. Like, and he, he actually doesn't want to be doing this to Howie. It hurts him that it's Howie specifically. And that answer is that question is answered later when he appears at the Passover Seder as his brother-in-law. Yeah. But I think this and it's is, also the reason that the goons never want him to talk to Arno. Right. Yeah. Don't say my name. You can't like do any. Please don't do any of the things that make me feel like a person to you. Uh, and the goon, his goons, like are doing everything. It's almost like the it's like the inverse Marlo Stanfield thing. Yeah. Of of the reason that Chris Partlow and uh, and Snoop are his front men are to keep Marlo from going wild on people. In this case, it's like no. If we let Arno in, he's gonna like back off on yeah. this. He's gonna give. He's gonna give Howie more than we should give him. And But I think this is one of the other things I wanted to raise here is that Howie lives dangerously, but in, a, in, a, in another way he doesn't. Like, he makes all these risks, but actually the risks are basically underwritten or guaranteed by people who are stuck with him for one reason or another. His biggest bookie that he's in the, in the, in the deepest debt to 
is his brother-in-law. Right. Mm-hmm. His pawnbroke are clearly like they're colleagues. Yeah, yeah like yeah. yes, they're the, fronting him money. These are basically the bit with loans. His ring. Yeah. Where he's like, "How you've had this since 1970, or you've had this for 12 years? This is so important to you. Yeah, are you okay?" Is so heartbreaking, right? And and so this is this is the other thing is like this this weird notion of like, uh, you know, how he is trapped, but at the same time, what he's trapped by are these traps he's built for other people mm-hmm. and pulled into with him, right? Like his debt problems are basically family debts. They could be solved at a moment's notice by going to his family. What we learn later is his father, Judd, Judd Hirsch's character, can just cover these right. sorts of outlays uh, like at a moment's notice. Inconvenienced by them, but he could cover them. Right. Um, Judd Hirsch, by the way, always fantastic to see. And yeah. And was great in this. And he so owns I think, him more than he owes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which again is like he could have just gone yeah. to Judd Hirsch and been like, hey, I'm really in trouble. I fucked up. Which, Can you cover me and take my debt? I'll pay you back. We'll figure something out. Which I think is one of the things that helps drive home, like, this character is not even a good antihero in some ways, right? Like, there is nothing. If he were in hock to, if you're just a compulsive gambler and he were in hock to some some bad bookies, we could sort of root for him as this guy who's just trying to get out from under. Right. Mm-hmm. But he could just get out from under at a moment's notice. All it would require is admitting he fucked up, right? The only thing it would cost him is a little bit of pride to get out from under. And that's the price he won't pay. And the fact that he knows that he would have to pay that price to get out from under this is what drives him to make wilder and wilder risks. This notion that uh, the thing that has to be protected above all is my ego and how Mm -hmm. I feel. And I think that's one of the things that makes him kind of irredeemable by the end is like, look at all you've done to these people around you. And he doesn't see it that way. To him, it's their fault that he feels There is way. almost a, are you familiar with the, God, is, it, is it just called the uh, the utility monster? Yes, the utility monster like uh, thought experiment that is an anti-utilitarian anti-utilitarianism kind of thought experiment uh, that Robert Nozick came up with in the 70s, um, who, you know, there are a lot, it's very reductive of what utilitarianism is. Utilitarianism very broadly is a philosophical school of which there are many sub-schools that is like, hey, what is ethical is what is what produces the most utility for the most, what produces the most utility, right? And there are subdivisions that are like, is that for the most people? Is that for, you know, what are the what are the checks there? Blah, blah, blah. But the thing that, that uh, Nozick comes up with to push against to argue against utilitarianism is basically imagine you have a town of a hundred people and uh, everyone in that town, the highest utility, the highest joy that they can get is a 10 and there's someone who can get up to a thousand. Do you do everything in your power to let that person who can get up to a thousand or 10,000, like, do you give, do you make them the king tyrant? Do you give them all the food? Do you give them everything that they want because they can theoretically get that much more utility out of all that stuff? No, of course not. And it's, you know, it's kind of a trite example that that I think Nozick is not great for, but he is a utility monster, right? This is a film in which you see Howie's joy when he's winning is so much higher than everyone else in the world when they're winning, right? When Literally when he gets the black open in his hand for the first time, oh someone's God. talking to him yeah. and like explaining why they have to quit because they can't handle his bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And he just looks him dead in the eyes and is like, oh my God, I'm about to come. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and when he, it's not that he doesn't get some joy out of the other things in life. When he sees his daughter on stage, I think he genuinely, there's a moment when, so the way the movie goes at that point is he goes to see, he makes it out to see his daughter uh, at a uh, like a school play or whatever, yeah. and there's this amazing moment where they do a special effect on screen where someone, a fairy or something, has has 
given her the gift of producing gold coins from her mouth whenever she speaks. So pure is her is her soul or whatever. And there's this like on stage special effect of her opening her mouth and money coming out, which is. And he loves it. And he loves it on multiple <laughs> levels. I think one, he just loves money. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think he's like, wow, like that's a cool <laughs> special effect. But that degree of excitement that everybody in that in that theater has is nowhere near the level of excitement he gets while watching a bet like play out. Uh, he's so much more hyped up than everybody else. And it is his one of his big tragic flaws is that he can't just settle for a regular level of being excited about life. So, that's what excites me about Julia. He can't just come. Julia. He needs to come about looking at an opal. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's what's exciting about Julia right. also is that she's also a utility monster yeah, yeah, yeah. in that she gets so much excitement out of feeling, being attracted to other people. Right. She doesn't want to fuck them. She like explicitly tells them that she, she won't do it and she keeps to her word. Oh, yeah. But she wants them to get a hard on when they look at her. And she loves it. She loves that feeling a lot. She loves that what it gets her too. She loves that she's able to go from just being a model to having a photography career because right. people want to fuck her. And like she doesn't care that it's about people wanting to fuck her. She thinks that part is great also. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to take a quick break here. And then on the other side, I want to talk about Sandler specifically. And then I want to talk about a scene about Driven by Julia sure. uh, in, in a nightclub. But uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll get to the second half of our Uncut Gems discussion. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Okay, so this is also one of those movies that comes along every so often where Adam Sandler does a serious role. Uh, And Patrick- Every 10 years. Yeah, it, it's like a comet passing through the solar system, uh, <laughs> a thing you might see if you stared into that black opal. Uh, but uh, I am curious, what do we make of Adam Sandler being this character? What significance does it have that like this character is played by a guy that we're used to from all these other roles? Because I look at it and he looks like a John Turturro character yeah. um, that like. Turturro could probably we we have seen him play this character. Why is it important there that there are it's better actors that yeah we were talking about this last night. Like there are better actors like pure actors that could have played this role. But if you read about the yeah. um, the Safdie brothers and how, why they cho- they chose they wrote this for him. Yeah, they wrote this because they wanted the metatextual like tension with the audience in which you are seeing someone play a role to do things that are counter to then what you like. You know, I grew up when at the height of Adam Sandler's like powers and like the the comedy scene. Like, um, oh, I grew up with Happy the Madison song. and like Waterboy. Yeah, like yeah. Yeah. those, like a new Adam Sandler movie was like a fucking event. Like, um, he helped define like that was like what I thought of comedy. Like mm-hmm. when you were seven, and so 
But he always plays like underdog roles. He always plays kind of a, a, a come from behind sort of character. He plays obnoxious and, guys. Yeah, too. and he plays obnoxious guys. Um, and so casting him as that role, as the audience, I think they they ex- you can watch this movie have no experience with Adam Sandler and and enjoy it. I think the the character works, but the character works so much better if you bring that baggage with you. Mm-hmm. And they talk about it in the script where like they kept they, he passed on this script like five or six different times and then eventually they were able to convince after, after, after their last after movie. good times right. came yeah, a good yeah, time yeah. or good times came out like yeah. he saw that and was like ah fine fuck it okay I'll make this movie with you and because they wanted the audience and I felt that watching was just like the, the the weirdness of him playing the character only heightens the enjoyment and the stress of watching him play that character because of how many times you've watched him play radically different roles Complete and the fact that he doesn't inhabit roles like this or, yeah. right. it, the movie asks the question what if you actually knew Happy Gilmore you want to fucking kill that yeah, guy. that dude sucks. You want to fucking murder that man. Yeah. And it's really interesting to watch this next to not his late period stuff, but at the height of mm-hmm. his career where he was just making blockbuster, blockbuster after blockbuster after blockbuster. And I, I love it. I mean, I think this is... People, when I say, I wrote an article like Kotaku and Solaire, like the headline was Adam Sandler decides he wants to act today, which thank you, Natalie DeGraffenried, for letting me run that headline. Um, and people kept saying, well, haven't you seen Punch Drunk Love? And I was like, he was good and surprising in Punch Drunk Love, but that wasn't like a, a deep performance. That was like an early 2000s twee indie performance in a, th- in a twee in a way that we used to mistake for depth. Right. It was like a Garden State performance, you know? It was, it was good. very angry. It, we, we were not... He broke that window. He, he broke that window. He broke that window, he but he was, I'm not quite sure I'd call that movie Garden State. I feel like gar- no, c- calling it twee- Garden State is a particular... Uh, it's not as bad as Garden State, yeah. but it is twee in that same kind of yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, it's it's in that world, but I just was yeah. like Garden State. If okay. you had, if, if you had only seen Garden State, you were like, oh. angry as Garden State. Right, but you know? if you're a listener who's like, I love Garden State, I'll go watch Punch Drunk Love thinking you're going to get a, a, a Braffian performance, Zach Braffian performance out of Sandler. You're going to get a, something a little different. No, it's, it's, it's an angry, it. like there's emotional depth, yeah, but that movie was surprising and people thought it was good because it was different. And yeah. I understand And because it was, it was Sandler, right? Right? Like that movie is also operating on, on a thing. on a similar like it's fucking with the audience by stunt casting. Yeah. yeah. But what the Safties got out of Sandler is incredible. It's such a deep performance with so many layers to it. It's such a complicated person. And yet it still feels like I see his other character. That is right. Exactly right. Yeah. So my wife and I were talking about the movie afterwards and she was like yeah, it was a really good performance, but I kept getting confused because having seen, you know, mostly his 90s work, yeah. not like some of, a lot of the stuff when he started making grown-ups with his buddies, which on some level I sort of respect. He wants it's, to take a vacation. Yeah, take a vacation it. with your friends and make a <laughs> shit ton of money. Good for you. Um, but, like, when he would scream, it's like, yeah, I would see the Happy Madison character. Like, right. I would I, I saw Adam Sandler bit characters from SNL in that those reactions because he was playing those characters just not grounded in a reality right. that where that those characters have consequences for their actions. And this movie is essentially like, what if you, like you said, Agita, like took an SNL character or a Happy Gilmore and said, yeah, but what if you put him in the real world? Like what would that, how would that character operate and how would the world push back on them? Yeah. Right. He is in the scene where he, after, so after the play, he, or in the middle of the play, the goons show up. And he is chased down in the parking lot. This gave me so much anxiety. Uh, phone Cat- call. Beat, beat the shit out of and then stripped down and put into his own, tr- locked into his own trunk naked. Um, and 
uh, has to call his wife uh, with whom for with whom he's separated or not not fully separated but partially separated and has to have her come out and open the trunk. He lies to her and says, "I locked my keys in the trunk. Can you come <laughs> out and buzz the trunk?" And he pokes his head up out of it and is like, "Ah, uh, hey, uh, listen, I'm okay." And she's like, "I'm leaving. Bye. I don't give a shit." He's and there nude is like also we mentioned that yeah, right? no, yeah. no completely completely nude. And there is big like. Big big daddy energy. What yes. is, that, is that the name? Big of, daddy. Big daddy. Yeah. Sandy Koufax is the name of that character, which is a thing. How do you? What? I looked it up. Okay, good. I was just <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, oh yeah, that's right. This is the end uh, of his nineties run. Yeah, it is. What was it the is. Uh, <laughs> the Satan one? Little Nicky. Little Nicky. No. Bad. Yeah, I did not that's when it was all over. That was ooh, bad. Uh, but like you, that energy is there for him for sure. It's like, oh, this is moving from like uh, completely manic to depressive, Mo- moving to like schlubby, nice guy, got you know, dude next door, dad next door, Adam yeah. Sandler uh, uh, energy. But it's there; it's a hundred percent there, and I think it's part of what makes it sympathetic. That's also the scene in which I think they do the most work to make me sympathetic to this complete dirtbag, which is he won the fucking bet. Yeah, yep. he oh won the bet. God. He won the lightning bet. He was right he when they when right. they reveal like, oh, actually, oh. we took. And like you, like I felt my, so mad. Uh, uh, the, like uh, when you go to the top of roller coaster and you yes, go down. Yes, I felt yes. like just like the energy leave my stomach. He wins the bet, but it was revealed that Arno stepped in and canceled the bet on you know on his behalf basically, and and said that's my money. He can't make a bet with my money. And bookies know each other. Bookies know loan sharks. Right. They they know not to. There there's a they're going to respect the choice. <laughs> exactly. He's like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna cancel that bet and give you the money, and that. Is so infuriating because he's like he's right. He's, he says like you know Arno, you fucked us both. Like we both won, and you fucked us on this. And immediately, hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus right. Christ! And you're immediately like ah ah <laughs> yeah. ah. I want to I want to go back to something really quick because Gita's headline made me think of this. That we're the character that Adam Sandler plays in this movie is someone who can't settle for the safe bet and always needs the risk to uh-huh. like feel alive. Adam Sandler, as an actor, does the, take the safe bet. the opposite. And the reason yeah. it's interesting when he gets cast in a, a film that's not going to be just him and his buddies, you know, shooting the shit, mm-hmm. is like, well, goddamn, like, w- what's interesting about this script that would get him to do something out of his comfort zone? Because he chooses to do this. Like, he only chooses to do it once every 10 years. Yeah. And so, like, it's interesting to see that dynamic where it's like, this movie will make him no money. Right, like he should just go make the Netflix movies. That's right. gonna make him money, and they're safe and they're easy. But it's it's just interesting, like the parallel or like the opposite of the character relative to Adam Sandler's like own personal career choices. Yeah. At that point, we go into the next thing that you so, want to talk about, right? Yeah, like going to the the sad dad energy in yeah. some ways. Uh, so after after dealing with the smoking ruins of his family in the wake of this school play. Uh, Daddy's got to go out. He's got to go see the weekend in in the city. Uh, he's going to stay the yeah. night at the apartment. I mentioned this is the best era of the weekend in our group chat. This is 2012 <laughs> weekend. Mm-hmm. This is trilogy era. This is yep. House of Balloons. This is like, this is the fucking shit. I miss that era so bad. He I was so, too. so, so trilogy good. Was so good. Trilogy was so good. So I think there's a couple things that happen in the scene, and I think it's a crucial scene for establishing who Julia is. But before we get to that, there's this moment that, that I loved, uh, which is that he's going there because Damani has been trying to recover this this opal from uh, Kevin Garnett, right. who's been hanging on to it and has just been kind of ghosting them. And it's getting increasingly, increasingly anxious. He needs to get this thing delivered to the auction by a certain day or it doesn't get auctioned in the next block. Um, but he, so he goes there to pick it up from Damani and Damani shows up and Damani's like, 
I don't have it. Listen, like, just be cool. It's you'll you'll get it, mm-hmm. but like, I don't have it. I said, well, why the fuck are you here? And he's like, well, it's the weekend, man. And <laughs> and like, right as that happens, though, uh, the weekend demands the uh, place be lit only by black lights. And so the light changes and everyone's caught in the black light. Everyone fades except for Damani's jacket. Uh-huh. Damani's oh jacket becomes this like blazing, like glowing, like neon it's like a orange. Torch. Yeah. Yeah. And the music comes up and I don't what's the what's the song that the weekend launches into? Uh, Beautiful. It's the one that is that has the hook, uh, money is the motive. What is the name of that song? Oh, oh it God is but it's this beautiful club the performance. Morning. It is. It is. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. Uh, so he launches into that song, and we see the shot of how he's sort of lost in like the blue mist behind Damani, and Damani has the light on him, and he's glowing in this torch, and it feels like in this moment, like to me, the way that shot read is, for the moment, the hustle is going Damani's way. Yes. Like mm-hmm. Damani has a future in this business. Yes. Damani's in with the right people. He kn- he's prepared, whether he knows it or not. I don't know that he was like, ah, yes, Abel, the weekend, loves blacklight. I will have what I need to wear so that I stand out. He's just connected. He has yeah. that. He's in line with it. He's in the flow. Right. That's like he he is also on his run. Yes. And Howard's is ending. And the, there's this there's this notion of Howard's losing the connections he needs to keep this business going mm-hmm. and the way he's been doing it. He increasingly needs Damani. Damani increasingly does not need Howard. But you also get the sense that Damani's another guy who's always just one or two steps ahead of the shit hitting the fan. He's trying to, you know, pawn Rollies off, fake Rollies mm-hmm. off on his people, right? Like his clients that are yeah. coming to him, he's got, he is in danger constantly of burning those connections by giving them a, a shitty knockoff Rolex. And that's, that's going to come back on him okay. like fast. But for the moment, Damani has time to figure this out. Damani's, Damani's the man. And Howard is no longer that guy. And the, the combination of that, that shot and that music, it is probably the most elegiac moment oh, in, yeah. in the film of just seeing these two characters who probably on very similar arcs um, at different points in the arc. And this is the moment where they sort of cross. Yeah. And then the performance is over and Howard needs to get to the weekend and we get, I think, what is a pretty critical scene about Julia and then about Julia and Howie's relationship. God, okay. So Julia's in the weekend, in uh, a closet with the weekend and she is smoking, she's snorting coke with him and the weekend thinks that this is the opportunity. He's going to make it happen with this beautiful white woman. And she is really like a hard line. No, we're not kissing. We're not doing anything other than storing coke. I have a man. I'm not going to betray him. Mm-hmm. But she gets very close to that line. Oh, yeah. She uh, makes, she knows there is some that contact into him. And she will play that up because she needs something from him. And she needs him to think he might be able to one day fuck her. Mm-hmm. So at one point, he's like, I'm so hard right now. And puts her hand on his dick. And she says, wow, how are you so fucking hard? <laughs> <laughs> and like, she does seem bemused, you know? It yeah, does yeah. seem like she's teasing him. And like, she probably won't go for it. But like around that point is when Howie enters, and of course he's furious because it mm-hmm. looks like they were about to fuck. And they go out in the street, and she God. he's screaming and crying, and like is so fucking upset. But she's just like Howie. We oh. talked about this. It's gonna be like this sometimes. I gotta do this sometimes. I was making a sale. I was making a sale. Yeah. Like, well, how else do I go? You know, I was. She was working. Mm-hmm. She was working. 
And this is why she doesn't come in at 10. Yeah. Sometimes she works at night. Yeah. Like, and it's like, it's adjacent to sex work. It's not quite sex work, but it's something that like he can't quite emotionally handle. But she's like, this is how she wins. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. That is how she wins. Yeah, that yeah, is how yeah. she escapes. Like how she gains enough capital to be considered something more than just a, a pretty woman, just a piece of ass, is by wielding that it in a way that makes her able to get things, things that she can't get otherwise, and she needs it. She needs to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And right now, before she's able to get her, like, photographer, she legitimately wants to be a photographer. Mm-hmm. That's not just, like, a hobby for her. She has a nice camera, and she's psyched to shoot the weekend because that could really be a big, like, a big break for her because he was right in the cusp. Right. And the way that... The way that their relationship comes into play, where they, they it's like this cathartic yelling, this cathartic yelling where you can tell they saved up some yelling for each other specifically, <laughs> or they're just fucking screaming about shit that oh, not, didn't yeah. even happen that night. They're mm. just yelling at each other. It doesn't make any sense anymore. And he breaks up with her suddenly and is like, move out. And she's devastated. But like, you got to get the sense that this has happened before. <laughs> Yeah, also, yeah, yeah. they've definitely they've been definitely broken it, right? up and gotten back oh, together. Oh, you've, you've seen that couple, like yeah. the "I'm going home." Get your own fucking cab. Get your own fucking cab. Yeah. <laughs> and like you know that this I'm is not the that end. Bar. You look yeah. at them. It's yeah, totally. Yeah. But I, but I also love the. We've just seen him with his family, and there's this weird dynamic of he wants the hot young thing, but also could she just be a little more like a wife? Could she just be a little more like monogamous? Soon and, as like, he, she acts like a wife, she's not. He's not going to want her anymore. Yep. That was mm-hmm. what happened with Adina Menzel, who is not an unattractive woman. She's beautiful. She's Adina Menzel. <laughs> <laughs> but it but, comes with reciprocal obligations that yeah. Howie doesn't want to fulfill. Yeah. Like right. that's that's their thing. Is like Howie's like, no, you have to be true to me. Well, well, what will you be there for? Will you be there for the bad times? Will you be there? Will you have my back? No. But how he would feel better if you were true, like if you yeah. were always there for him. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what's fair. That's what he's owed. And I think honestly, though, that mentality is why they eventually make up. Yeah. You know, they make up because he does understand that you have to lie to the people you love in the world that he's created for himself. For fighting for more money is the only thing that matters. He's like, well, you do just lie to people, and I get it. I, what you did was not very nice to me. Is the what he says yeah, about that? Yeah, I loved. Um, also, that scene ends where we are stuck with Julia in her humili- humiliation, and there's the side, like the sh- the um, God, is it a dolly shot? We're traveling alongside her, basically, mm-hmm. and we're watching the sidewalk scroll past, and, the and she's going back in the, the bar line. Or the club. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and everyone has seen this, and there's people laughing, <laughs> and she starts like talking shit. He with says like. She says, like, that's why you're out here. Yeah. And she goes back in, and it's great. Listen, though, she's not wrong. She's like, not wrong. She knows what looking like that gets her. And it, it does. And carrying herself in that way where, like, yeah. there is never a doubt that she, she's never, she knows she'll get, a, she'll get him back. She knows she's going to, like, make it right. She just has, she's doing the same thing that he's doing, which is, all right, what's my play? What's, how do I go from this bad place to a good place? Uh, well, and I, I just love the, like, the sort of quiet heroism of that moment of like just making a complete ass of yourself in public, that moment of humiliation. And she's like, fuck you. I am not like, yeah, I'm not humiliated. I'm not bowed by it. I'm going back into the club. Yeah. Fuck actually all fuck all y'all. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, then we get Passover is Passover. Passover is between yeah. then yeah, yeah, and yeah. KG coming back. Passover happens. You get the revelation that Arno is his brother-in-law. They're like, wait, why the fuck is he here is so good. 
Yeah, Arno is his brother-in-law, and also like compared to Arno, uh, Howie is the good son, which w- right. blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> but like our, Howie's dad hates his son-in-law because he says like, "Oh, it's like Harry's daughter married the enemy." Yeah. Basically, he can't. He was trying. They were trying to do you know, stop us dinner, and he can't do read anything. He can't read anything. He, he doesn't, yeah, know, he doesn't any, know, you know, he doesn't know what right. to say. Wait, there was is a, that actually Howie's dad? No, that's Howie's father-in-law. Father. That's the. That's. It. No, 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 no. Judd Hirsch is Howie's dad. Yeah. Really? That's His sister dad. Okay. married Arno. Arno. Yeah. Okay. And the, Arno the, is a Ricky non-practicing. Ricky says that he's Howard's he's not, father-in-law. Yeah, no, because I, I remember, oh, really? I remember Howard say, I have to make it to my father-in-law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's for, his father-in-law. Yeah. Oh, shit. So he's the good son-in-law? Yeah. That's yeah. fucking yeah. wild. Yeah. That's even, that puts another why would, angle. Judd Hirsch, oh. why are you so close to this? Oh, my God. Well, there's just, uh, it's actually, it's Passover Seder, not Shabbos Center. Um, and they're mm-hmm. doing the plagues. And Arno doesn't know the plagues. And so he can't do it. And then... God, like this smug ass little yeah. look that Adam Sandler gives Arno when he just like <laughs> oh just picks it up I... nonchalantly, dips his hand in the wine, and just begins like <laughs> he says happy. The Judd Hirsch's character is like he said happy holidays to me like it's Christmas. I was like, oh, it's so fucking good. It's so good. Anyway, Passover happens. KG comes back the next day. Is like I'm gonna buy the stone from you, Howie. This is this is I'll give you one hundred seventy five thousand dollars. And Howie says no. You get stuck in the man trap. Right, right. There's a whole <laughs> setup. This is the man signature trap. scene for me. Yeah. yeah, is this man trap oh, scene? It's so anxiety inducing. I was like, please open the door. <laughs> Just skin fucking. Crawling. There's a there's the two doors. There's an outside door that you have to open, and then there's an inside door that is like bulletproof glass. You need to get buzzed through. You need to get buzzed through them both. You get buzzed once to get inside the man trap. You buzz the second time to get into the store, into the shop, and it breaks. And they have to like put a ch- like a fucking chisel. This is yeah. in the mechanism. A jewelry store like this is a fortified like structure, right? If that thing breaks in the purge, I would be happy to be in <laughs> this jewelry yeah. store. But they can't just open it because the, it, it is meant to not be openable, and so they have to get the dude who works in the store, who's clearly like combination jeweler, handyman, etc. Yeah. He's got to show up with not just a screwdriver to wedge <sighs> things open, but he needs to get metal filings into the circuit to bridge the connection. Yeah. And that's how we're going to fix this. And then we're going to hold it in place with the with, with the uh, screwdriver. That's my assumption about that's what, what it seemed like there. to me. Yeah. yeah. But it's this like he has Kevin Garnett, Damani, and other members of that crew and the security team wedged into this phone booth. And didn't they, did, at okay. that point, had they just kicked out the goons also? <laughs> Yes. Or was that the first time? That was the first time. That was the first time. Okay. So people are screaming at Howard from inside the man trap. People are screaming at Howard through the intercom. Right. Because also. also there's a whole other C plot of someone else Howie owes money to who are yeah. very easy to ditch and ignore. And they're okay. trying to get in. And uh, people are screaming at Howard from inside the store. Yes. And Howard's not responding to any of them. He is just screaming generally because he's also <laughs> had his nose broken, I think, by this at this point. Is this when he got his no, nose broken? No, that's next. That's, that's next. At the, the, at so the auction. He's all fucked up. He's, I think, slept in the store because he doesn't want to go home because he's told Julia to move out. So he's all fucked up. He's not talking to anybody. And he's trying to get the door to work because he does have to let the people in the man trap in. And it's just... Endless noise, right. endless screaming, <laughs> right. endless buzzing. And, and like, someone's that is quitting, what this movie I think, in the scene. Me. It's just a lot. Y'all, we yeah. need to just pause one second. John Amos cameo. After the uh, Passover dinner, they're driving home. He's got to swing by the apartment to get something, but really he's going to see if Julia's moved out. 
his son right. needs to go to the bathroom. Right. And there's just this right. weird, like only in New York moment where he's like, you can go use the washroom in one of my neighbor's places. You'll love this guy. He was in coming to America. <laughs> and right. uh, he knocks on the door. And sure enough, it's it's John Amos, uh, who is the the dad in coming to America. And he's like, hey, it's Howie, your neighbor. Can my son use your bathroom? And uh, Amos just looks at him. And he's like, no. No. And just closes <laughs> the door. So it's, good. it's perfect. It's so uh, what a weird detail, but uh, yeah, yeah. So they and the other Garnett also has this weird mania about him, yeah, because he's trapped in this fucking like he's man, a big trap, man, and he's car- like waving this like million grocery dollar- store bag full of money <laughs> oh, with right. the opal in it too. Uh, I think, and he's like, I got money for you. I want to buy this. I got your opal, but I got one hundred seventy five thousand dollars. I want to buy it, and it's like he's he's trying to close this deal <sighs> while he's trapped in this. By now, obvious con man's like oh yeah, <laughs> like nothing is yeah. on the up and up, and Garnett is just impervious to all of it. He's just like let me into the store so I can buy this buy this rock. It's great. So Garnett gets in, delivers the opal. Um, Howie still refuses to sell it because it's got to go to this auction, which sets up the next disaster, which is that when he delivers it to the auctioneer, they have to appraise it. And he's already late doing this. Remember, he thinks this is a million-dollar opal. Right. When he checks to see what it's listed for, he finds in the in the auction uh, the the auction catalog a note, an insert, noting adjusting the price on the opal yeah. down to like $150,000. Yeah. It's basically junk. For the it's stat. less than what KG just offered for it. Yes. Uh, it's yeah. quite a bit lower, again, than the mill that he thought he could get for it from. And there is, it is disputed in some sense, in the sense that if he had gotten to, if part of the reason it seems like it's been set so low is he gets it to them late, they have to do a rush job to appraise it, they put it in, and they don't like the fucking guy, and fuck yeah. him, right? Yeah. If, they get, if he gets it to them early, maybe they do under value it based on based on what his anticipation is but he would have had time to get a secondary appraisal he would have had time to to counter their appraisal and maybe meet somewhere in the middle but that's not how he does things he has an argument where like they probably appraise like lots of fairly high-end diamonds and stuff set in jewelry not raw uncut gems right right? Mm -hmm. like they don't look at stuff like that usually he would have found people who did maybe he's full shit maybe he's like deluded maybe he's right but either way his solution here is first he tries to run a con I think he's at least partially right because they did give him an initial appraisal which is where he got the number million like it was like 700,000 up to a million it was printed in the original book so yeah. even them, they were expecting something there. That, that yeah, it is clear that part of what's happening is he's getting fucked because they hate dealing with him. Yeah, and which they just fair. Want him to fuck off. <laughs> so now we begin entering the terminal dialogue. And they give him the option. They give him the option. They say, this you know what? Is, yeah. You could pull it from the thing if you have another seller. You want to go put it up for auction yourself. You want to do something else. At that point, he could have taken it and been like, so, "KG, one seventy-five works for me. Here it is." But instead, he tries to run a hail mary play. Which is, what if somebody bid substantially in excess of the appraisal? How could he guarantee that happens? Call up Judd Hirsch and ask him to run up the bidding. And Judd Hirsch arrives, who's arrived mostly to meet Kevin Garnett uh, and bring his his son. Yeah, his son son wants to meet. But he's like, I could do it, Howie, but what if we win? And Howie's like, no, that's not going to happen. Don't worry about it. And right away, you know. This is exactly what's going to happen. 
Uh, so he begins running up the bidding on this fucking rock, and KG is in there matching the bids, and he goes pretty high. He gets it just to, but he goes as high as he was going to offer before. He like he goes one over. He goes to one eighty. Okay, and yeah. At that point, that's where you're like, all right, great, we got a little extra, uh, and fucking Adam Judd Sandler's goes like one ninety. Yeah, he he looks to Adam to make sure too. Yeah, he looks he looks I mean, to Howie to double check, and of course Howie's like. Keep going. There's no Kevin number. Kevin Garnett has an accountant there. Yeah. With him. So yeah. you know, as the audience member, you know in your heart that that 175000 is probably all the liquid cash he has right now, yeah. and he can't go higher than yeah. that. Yep. And he's brought his accountant to make sure that he doesn't do that. Yeah. yeah. They like, right. there's like a little moment where they're kind of arguing when he, he when he does go to 180, and yep. she's like, what? He's like, it's okay. So we'll figure yeah. it out. <laughs> so now Judd Hirsch has to pay 190 for this fucking rock he didn't want. Yeah. He's furious. And but he's has like, it, which is so funny. Which yeah. is just like, yeah, again, like he could have gone to him to begin with. Ah. So uh Adam Sandler says, I need the rock back. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, to sell it to Kevin Garnett. I will sell and now Judd Hirsch is like, you need to pay me back that money, but also you need to pay me a little bit more back because like this is insane. Like you need like you owe me now a little bit of interest on yeah. this loan, this fucked up loan I've ended up doing. Uh, and he takes the takes the rock. He gets roughed up by Arno's goons there yet again. Yeah, neck gets popped, gets tossed into some water, gets his nose busted open. Yeah, it's bad. And so loses his, his glasses. Tail between his That's legs. That's a nightmare, really. Yeah, he stumbles back to his shop, and all is lost. This is his lowest ebb. Mm-hmm. He has the rock though. They didn't take the rock from him. But now it looks like shit. Yeah. When he unveils God, it, when it's, it's so sitting ugly. there on his desk, and you're like, "Oh shit, that's just a rock." Yeah, like <laughs> the those facets that were positively glowing in those earlier scenes, they look dull, and most of what you see looks like this thing was busted out of just standard sedimentary rock, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and he sends everyone home in despair. In walks Julia, and we get a great scene about their relationship. Uh, Julia. Wants to patch things up, and she has brought a little present to cheer him up. Oh, yeah. An ass tattoo. <laughs> it says Howie. It says Howie. It's so, so first, they have a complete fucking mental breakdown at each other. Just at each right, other. Yes. Like, right. he's, at his, he's at his lowest, and she's there, and he needs her, but he's still so upset. He needs he needs to be cuddled. He needs to be in yeah, bed and yeah, be yeah. cuddled by her, totally. but he won't. Let him. He has to first just get it all out, get the poison out, and like the thing he, he even, says, he like won't even show his face to her. Yeah, because uh, he's just so he doesn't want to be seen by her yeah. because he feels like he is so completely worthless, and he needs her specifically to say, "No, you're gonna win still. You can still do it." And he's got like tissue in his nose, and he says in this deeply Adam Sandlery like evocate like tone of voice, "What you did was not very nice to me." <laughs> And it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. And they make up when she's finally got the fucking Howie ass tattoo. It's so, it's so, and the weird thing is, Wholesome. it's, yes, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like He's, gift of the Magi if everyone was just kind of a messy piece of shit. Yep. Jersey but, Shore, gift yeah. of the Magi. Yeah. <laughs> kind of you well we, well, we skipped over a scene at the, at the Passover where he seemingly tries to patch things up with yeah. his wife. Yeah. Uh, which it's, I feel like it's important to note there that he, that that doesn't work out, obviously. Uh, and in this scene, I feel like part of the reason that he kind of 
patches things up with Julia is because he, she's the last one who that oh, will take yeah. him, right? Yeah. Like, Not he was maybe he... even ready to move to actually try to patch things up, at least in his in his way. Yeah. For like and one cool. week, he would yeah. be okay at being right. a father, you right. know? <laughs> the um, specific thing about that attempt to patch things up with his wife also is that she just laughs at him. Right. Just completely sees through it. Yeah. Or, or you know, does not believe it for a second and laughs at his attempt to be uh, to, to be authentic in his in his affection. And what's interesting emotionally in that scene is that the movie had so firmly gotten me in his frame of mind and like point of view is that I knew she was right and it was like good that she wasn't falling for it yeah. but I still wanted her to be nice to him right like I really <laughs> just wanted one person to be nice to him but then you look back on the movie and he's been a piece of shit to every single person he's yeah. ever met yeah no he doesn't deserve that reconciliation and for a moment she has this look that like hey maybe maybe she does still care for him and then you realize it's just amusement at the idea that this would that he would even think this is still in yeah. the cards even viable yeah yeah um so, all things begin to break, begin to come back together for Howie because right as Julia and he are patching things up, Kevin Garnett calls, interrupting several calls he's had. He's been harassing his representatives for days, uh-huh. trying to get the uh, the Opal back. Kevin Garnett personally calls and is like, "I'm coming in," uh, and we get the final scene with with Howie and Kevin Garnett, and I think it's kind of. Uh, pretty critical one for bringing the themes of this movie together. Greenwich comes with his 175K to buy this fucking rock. And as he's giving over the money to Howie, he's like, look, you've already closed the deal. I'm not going to take my money back. Just let me know. How much do you actually pay for this thing? How, how much over am I, what you paid? Did I just pay for this? And how he hems and haws and finally reveals that what he paid uh, for it was like 80 grand. 100K. He says 100K. 100K? That's what it he is says. what he borrowed from Arno. Right. Okay. Right. That, yeah, okay. I did not put that. That is what together. starts this whole right. fucking thing is Holy he borrows shit. the money to get the fucking right. rock in the first place. Um, Which has taken 16 months or 17 months right. or something. <laughs> Which is why they're to the point uh-huh. where they're fucking roughing him up because he hasn't been able to pay it back because it's taken so long to get the fucking rock in the first place. And Garnett hears that number and he's like, so you doubled your money. You doubled your money. And Howie is like, yeah, that's that's how this works. And Garnett is like, but those guys, how much how much of that money do you think those guys working in the mine actually get? Does that not seem fucked up to you that you're selling this for, two, like, for 175K? And... You know, you only paid them like a hundred, and that's when Howie launches into his. He likens this relationship, this yeah. this relationship of uh, power and trade and like capitalist exploitation. He likens it to sports, mm-hmm. and he turns to KG and he basically tries to do the "we're not so different, you and I" <laughs> thing because yeah. he's like, you yeah. when you're up when you're up on a team, you know, in a game. Do you take your foot off their neck? No. You and then he launches into no, you fucking destroy them. You want to like rub their faces in it. And that's when he gets to the that is how and I'd also misread this from the trailer. Yeah. In the trailer it comes across as almost bombastic. Yeah, yeah. This is this is how I win. This is how yeah. I'm doing it right now. In the scene, it's like no, this is this is the way in which I live my life. There's like this an opening up of himself. Like this is how I win. And Garnett like a lot of 
what makes being a good actor is like reacting to things and like how you react and listen. Yeah. And Garnett proves to be a great listener in that scene because you see several realizations sort of play across his face in that scene. One of them is the realization of how wild how he is of how just off like how <laughs> unhinged how he is well, and like, how pathological he and is. that is the opening question that he when, he when they sit down across from each other at the desk he's like howie what is up with you man like what is there is something else happening here out of sight from me what is going on and howie is so aroused by his speech yeah that by the end of it he's like you're feeling it too right this is <laughs> and he is like it is this like yeah. sexualized let's moment where he's like yeah, yeah he's like let's do this together and what he means by do this is let's get in some action together. You're going to fucking destroy Philly tonight. Yeah. And he starts writing up his bet for that night. And Garnett is like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. <laughs> Howie is just so fucking high on his own supply. In that moment, he just yeah. goes on an immediate another tear where he's like, I'm going to double this money that I just got. Which we know he already called Arno at that point to say he had the money. The goons and Arno are, are, are outside. Yeah, you see basically. them on the fucking CCTV yeah. as he's do, saying this to Kevin Garnett. Yeah. So that was when, another moment where I had to be, I was uh, watching it with my boyfriend in bed and I was like, David, I got to pause it. Just pay off, yeah. use the extra, yeah. pay him off first. Pay him off first. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> but instead, instead doing that, Kato, what if instead... Julia leans out the window <laughs> in the adjoining office oh my God. and, and pass the bag. he passes the bag to her <laughs> and he's like, I, I, I rented you a, a blade. I booked you a blade. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck is a blade? <laughs> That's a fucking is that, Do people in New York know what that is? Because no. I've never heard of it. No, it's a it's a helicopter. It's a, yeah. it's a helicopter to Mohegan Sun. To Mohegan Sun, to Connecticut. <laughs> and... If you've ever been <sighs> in Mohegan Sun, just the idea of taking a fucking helicopter so from funny. Queens to Mohegan yeah. <laughs> Sun. Fucking Cheesecake Factory Casino. This is the most <laughs> oppressing place in the universe. Uh, so she gets out of there with the money. Arno and his collection agents are just losing it. Yeah. Like, and this is the like when we realize his collection agents are furious at this point. They are done with right. this fucking guy. And Arno still wants to put limits on this. The collection agents throw Howie out the window and dangle him. Yes. And this is the one of the one of the times you can see most clearly Arno is like, okay, wait, He's wait, afraid wait, of wait, his guys. Wait, 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 yeah. yeah, I'm not in control here. Please don't hurt him. Like, please don't actually toss him out the window. Uh, there are lines here, and he feels for Howie. He can tell Howie I, is. I honestly still wonder what the relationship there is actually like. Like, are they his guys? Or oh, that's badly hired muscle. Yeah, yeah, that's my read. Yeah. Like, this is one of these things. These things, are, these are career criminals. Right. They're here for money. Yeah, right. he got and put in touch paid. with them by some third party. Right. Oh, yeah, I know some guys who could help he you with that. He knew another bookie yeah. who was like, I've got some muscle yeah. if you need to shake down your guy. But also, they've reached the conclusion that Arno's a fucking wimp. Yeah. Right. And he's not going to get them paid. So they're already starting to think, like, we just got to run this guy's business for him. We got to take care of this Howie such. Boy. And so they're about to storm out, though. They're about to storm out and go nab Julia, I guess, before she can put in the money or, like, wait for it at the, at the casino. Right. Or there have been implications. Maybe there's threats to the family. But they get into the man trap to leave, and it fails. And you know how he's in that moment is just like, all right, good. Yeah. <laughs> Bulletproof glass. You guys are just going to have to sit tight for this game. It's okay. After the game, I'll let you out. And it's... This like, is the moment where Eric Bogosian's acting is just so perfect and so beautiful. Oh, I it's, think just the picture of despair. 
It's the, yeah, it's this. I can't believe you've done this to us. Like I can't believe this has happened. But also, here's the here's the thing I love. How he begins to just get into it as this game takes place, and as deep as the water is that he's in, he's alive. Oh yeah, he is that is most alive. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And this is Julia's feeling it at Mohegan yeah, Sun, where like she's like living and dying with this game, and. You know, the and, and the opening Arno is off. living living it. That's you see, yes, Bogosian, yes. as this thing begins to come into view, the long shot begins to come in. You see the tip him flip. goes right. He's scoring, he's getting rebounds. He starts paying more attention to that game yeah. and starts like it's looking incredible. hopeful and almost admiring at There at is Howie. this befuddled joy on his oh, face yeah. where mm-hmm. he's just like, This motherfucker did it. There are sometimes <laughs> when you see a movie and you're like, This scene is the movie. This scene, this is the this is the seed from which the movie sprouted. They someone had an idea for this situation. The situation of a lone shark and his hired goons stuck in a man trap watching their beleaguered, you know, better watch a game inside of a shop all together and the tension is through the roof. It's like, yeah, that is the movie. Everything builds so you can get to that amazing uh, sequence. Um, Where you just get to see live in his universe for a minute. Where he always wins. Yeah. You know? and it, it All is. the ups and downs along the way. Just microcosm. Just like, yeah. yes, no, fuck off. You know, yeah. that stuff. Yeah. I mean, for me, that was the moment where I sort of understood. Like, I'm sorry for bringing a Marxist reading to every single movie I no, watch. Please. But like that was the moment I understood the, sort of the class politics of this movie. Where it's like, well, Howie is a man who's just bought into the instability of capitalism. He's bought into, he, he thinks it's a, a feature, not a flaw. And right. he <laughs> loves it. He's decided he loves it because that's the only way you can like sleep at night if you decide that the struggle is part of the game. Mm-hmm. And he loves every single second of not knowing if he's going to make it with the guarantee, which in his mind, of that he'll always make it in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's which... the only way you can live. That's the that's the kind of person who could thrive in the system is someone who's just fucking psychotic, like, yeah. fucking out of control. And yeah. the bet goes good. The bet, the he wins the bet. And... Uh, Arno is overjoyed yeah. and he's like, they all made a lot of it. money. He buzzes them out. He finally lets them out of the man trap. And uh, the head goon, he's like, You did it. And then pulls out a 38 and yeah. shoots him through the face yeah. and kills him. And Arno is horrified. What? And they start busting up the jewelry shop and, and start just looting snatching it. Snatching shit, which can't be worth that much, no. honestly. Compared to the bet he had, he made over a million dollars. Yeah, they're going to try to fence that, but there's two dead people in the Diamond District. Like they're going to jail. Like this is this is we know their CCTV. Yeah, we know people. It's not like no. Howie is the kind of man to explicitly document everything that went in and out of the store, every (laughs) single gem and jewel, like Mm -hmm. and like know the worth of it, have it written down on the books, have it all appraised. This is their pride play. This is their like he bested them, and they're they've been humiliated and they've been fucked with, and so. They are also now on a terminal dive of a career path, of their cr- criminal career path, yeah. which is we fucked up being hired muscle. We fucked up our payday. But man, we made that guy fucking pay for it. Yeah. Now we're about to get busted for a murder beef. Might as well do too. Uh, so yeah. they Pick shoot up another one. They yeah. shoot Arno as he tries to escape. Um and yeah, because Arno just, demonstrates immediately that he's not cool with it. Yeah, uh, you get he's the horrified. sense that if Arno could keep his cool, he probably would have made it out of there alive. Yeah, not with like much longer to live, I think, but alive for the time <laughs> being. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but the moment they realize he's not an accomplice to this at all, yeah, um, then they shoot him too and continue looting. And um, then you see Julia with the who, money. 
who's had her own little adventure yeah, in Mohegan skipped Sun. Over some stuff here. So there's the this guy, guy she meets immediately. It's, who is this that? Old guy. He's Just a, re- a guy that they met. No, like I know the actor. Like who he's is not that? an actor. He is Wayne Diamond. That's what I thought. Who is uh, a New York like diamond guy, I believe. Uh, this says garment district legend Wayne Diamond. Sparkles in in uncut jazz. Great. That's that's just him. Like here's a photo yeah, of him. I love him. Oh, he's beautiful. He's beautiful. He's a beautiful man. And they like, meet on the blade. He's I mean. clearly trying to fuck her, and she's playing that because she sort of understands also. But it's she's fine got a lot if it doesn't work. Bag. <laughs> like, you know? He takes his shots. He takes yeah. his shots. He's no, like, oh, he, I, I bought the chef. The chef is coming up tonight. He like doesn't care whether or not he fucks her, but he's happy to have a young woman around to impress. And like, if it goes his way. He'll be happy with that, too. But if not, you know, he helped out a pretty lady. She's always going to be nice to him now. Well, we see that shot of, like, Howie's family, his wife being like, I'm actually really worried. Like, he get, like weird phone call came in, like, something is not right. And you realize the amount of people who are going to be devastated in some way by the scale of this fuck up. Like, these people that he'd alienated, but still, still on some level cared a little bit for him. But um, also, just the juxtaposition of Howie's end to Damani to then Julia is like, those are three people who are living their lives from scam to scam. Yep. You know? And like, for these three people, how many other opportunities do they actually have, though, to survive in a system that's so unfair? Yeah. You live or die by the scam. Like, that's it. Well, yes, but I also feel like this Damani is... was also scamming Howie. Yeah. And he, you could tell that he was like, this shit with The weekend and with Kevin Garnett, that was his step up into yeah. bigger and bigger scams. Right. And like Julia's existence, she understands is a scam. She's very aware of that. Uh, you meant you mentioned Julia's existence and her scamming is just this quote from Wayne Diamond. Uh, page six asked Wayne Diamond if his time as a dressmaker prepared him for Hollywood, and he said, "Go sell fucking dresses. If you're a salesman and you're not a good actor, you're not making a lot of money because you're not going to be selling a lot of dresses. It's all you're gorgeous. I love you so much. Let's go out for a drink. I'll fuck you just so you write me an order. My whole life was that until I became someone. I could be in an acad. I could be in an Academy Award-winning movie. Fuck you. Your odds are a billion to one of being in an Academy Award-winning movie." Yeah. Great quote. In the, in the just, in this is he, That's just him. him. He's just that's how he movie. wins. That's how he, this is how he wins. Yeah. The Safdie Brothers interview with uh, Chapo, they were talking about Wayne Diamond, and they said they were trying to get him. There's a scene where she, Julie's in the hotel room because she recognizes she has a lot of money in her bag, and people can tell her bet's going well, so she doesn't want to get people, doesn't want to attract attention. So he's like, oh, come up to my room. And she's like, immediately like, yes, like this will be a space away from prying eyes and I can handle this guy, blah, blah, blah. So he's in the bathroom taking a shower and he's just got a towel on. And you can tell he's trying, he's shooting his shot, but she's not going for it. And the softies were like, we originally wanted to have him naked because we were like, okay, you're the guy trying to cross the line. You're like the prototypical Me Too guy that is trying to make things inappropriate with this woman by being naked in the bathroom, having the door open. And Wade Diamond is like, you know what? It's not about being naked. I look amazing naked. I look the best naked. (laughs) But you know what? I look way better in a towel. (laughs) (laughs) He's a wild thing. So yeah, payout hits. I think there's, but I think there's an element of Howie isn't just in the capitalist system, but in some ways his logic is that of the capitalist system. He embodies yeah. it, right? I mean, this is why the return investment thing is so critical. Yeah. He has a successful business. Like, yes, it is founded on exploitation of like faraway distant people, but within the, he's part of a community of businessmen in the same line of work. The margins are not amazing. 
like in terms of what he does probably, but they're good enough to be, to live prosperously. He's part of a well-to-do family. Uh, there's probably a lot of generational wealth uh, passing through their hands. Uh, and also like he has made, if he just sticks to his original play, which is he's, he's taken a, he's, he's made a long shot bet on yeah. getting this, this gem. If he just sticks to that play and just auctions that thing, this all goes pretty totally. well. But goes to his father-in-law says, "Hey, yeah, your son. Uh, I'm into your son for a hundred grand. It's yeah. about this fucking opal. I it's going up on auction on Monday. Can you can you tell him to just like chill? Give him give him his money. I'll pay you back with with interest. I'll give you you know a, a nice chunk of this. This is going to sell for a mill. I'll cut you in for an extra fifty sixty. You and know? if he had not tried to turn it into a ridiculous over the top, yeah, but that's the nature. He gotten, yeah, the the." Nature of modern financial capitalism is to seek higher and higher yeah. returns past yeah. the point of anything sustainable or sensible. Like the the fundamentals of a business, uh, once a business is mature, right? Like growth is pretty linear and it's slight, right? That's the nature of most healthy, sustainable businesses. You can make a good living on it, but you're not going to suddenly jump several categories in terms of like wealth. Um, but Howie lives his life by like seeking those like wild swings in fortune that can just like r- carry him all the way to the top. For him, it's it, it's it's gambling. That's that's how he chooses to do this. But I think there's an element of like Howie's an actor within the system. But in some ways, I think also his logic embodies the nature of modern capitalism. Mm-hmm. In that, no, it's not enough uh-huh. that we all live reasonably well well off together with boring predictable stability and returns the only thing that will bring me, the only thing that brings me joy is if i pull all of you into this wildly irresponsible risk that i want to make for the sake yeah. of a 100% 200 mm-hmm. 600% return yeah. and if i can't have that then i'll burn the entire thing down i think uh, ending the movie on how he's death and uh, the shot where it like gets real close to his face and then goes into it. You see the same cosmos through the bullet wound. Through the bullet, through the bullet wound. wound. Uh, fucking and but beginning with that scene in at the mines with that guy with the fra- fracture really like put it all under this like it is about the 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 violence surrounding the capitalist system and the violence that the capitalist system enacts on people trying to survive within it. It. And the way that he embodies that also is about how that violence isn't always physical, also emotional, right? Like mm-hmm. the ways that he completely like fucks with everyone that he's connected with. And it's all at the service of, like you were saying, that. So it's like this whole like like they bookended it on these two moments of violence. And I feel like right. that really like kind of puts that that theme like, you know, it comes mm-hmm. full circle. Over here. It's the drug trade. We die for drugs. Right. Over there, they die from what we buy from drugs. God. The diamonds. Wow. The bracelets, Glad. the necklets. Perfect. Can listen to the one, charms. One song pod. Pull up your pants. Let's listen. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you be on it's that phone. It's be on that phone. <laughs> shout, no, outs to, but... shout outs to when Kanye wasn't the worst person. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> it's been my favorite thing to say recently. There was that, you know, in the New York Times endorsement thing for mm-hmm, you know, blah, 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 blah. When, uh, what's his name? Cory Booker, uh, Mr. Rosario Dawson said that he told that really <laughs> Thank long you. story Thank you. about going to that funeral. And it was super, super, super heartfelt. But then the moral he took from it was essentially it's because you'd be on that phone. I just like started laughing. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, 
this movie is so much more complex than something simplistic than that. I think it does come back to themes of capitalism, but like this is a, I mean, it's about money as much as it is about like success. It's like a really empiric idea of success that we've internalized in American culture. And it's about not just wealth as in capital, but the things that we use to display our wealth. Like a, this this being like a hype beast ass store is like very important to this plot yeah. as mm-hmm. well. It's ostentatious. It's about having new money, not about sort of the classiness of old money. Like Howie's, you know, family house and everything that displays his wealth, not important God. to yeah. him. God. Not important to him. What's important to him is getting a big hit now. Yeah. It's definitely also, you know, uh, connecting the two things of like more wealth does equal some sort of uh, sense of power or even not. And there's this really important line from Kevin Garnett in that scene where uh, he's bringing back or he's buying when he's finally buying the Opal. He says, like, you know, I didn't have to bring this back. Yeah. It's like he's yeah. I, I he's yeah, yeah, he's yeah. like in a position of, of power where he's making this purchase. But he 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 has this feeling of being such a celebrity that he he thinks that he could have just hold the held on to that rock, to even though. Yeah. There it doesn't a... matter to him that he doesn't get his ring back. Yeah, right. it wouldn't. It exactly. wouldn't have mattered to him. <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered to him at all. Listen, that rock was magic. So, right. you know, and he he had a great game. <laughs> he, he wasn't won, he, wrong. Won that series somehow. He was not wrong. Well, because like he's a man looking for self belief. Like, and that's I love that that character. Like God, the interview too, which is the real. Is that the real interview from that day? I could that I assumed was shot after the fact. Yeah, that like there's no way. Th- it's so perfect. Yeah. But there's no. I mean, way. it's a Shit. thing. I feel like that's a thing you see, and there's like, oh, we're gonna <laughs> take uh-huh, that, right? right, right like, right. I don't know. Well, yeah. I know based on the interview and the Chapo Pod uh, that Kevin Garnett was not the original choice. Okay, it was almost really? Kobe Bryant for a second, and they talked about this for. Uh, they talked about how they Kobe heard about it, wanted to do it, and then they had to like write rewrite the script with him oh. in it, and it took a week. And then once they got the script back to him, they were like, oh. Kobe doesn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, so that to us just speaks to like the level of wealth you can get to where you forget what work is, where you forget that like <laughs> someone, a human being has to do work and yeah. then get it back to you and you can't just lose interest in between. But it was a eventually, originally um, uh, a, it was a, a Jewish, a black Jewish basketball player that I forget the name of that cool. I thought I was thought about when I was listening to the pod and thought, I'm not going to forget this, and then immediately forgot. Um, <laughs> I'm going to try to look it up. But that was the original choice because they wanted to have the Ethiopian right, Jew right. thing like be tied to it. And then it was a also a um, the next one was a, a, a basketball player from Africa because they wanted to have the African thing tied into it. And it ended up being Kevin Garnett because... Uh, they're both big Knicks fans and they hate the Celtics. They hate Garnett in particular. But they're like, he loves wrestling and he's an amazing heel. True. Yeah. And <laughs> like, you can see like Kevin Garnett absorbing the energy of being the antagonist in that movie and like really understanding how to yeah. be hateable. And like, that comes from wrestling, which is amazing <laughs> to me. <laughs> it's a beautiful performance. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah it's. I had no idea what to expect from this movie. Uh, I do think it ends up being one of the most compelling movies of last year. Um, like, I I could not figure out for the life of me. I, I thought it was a crime story, which it is ultimately. But yeah. uh, 
I did not expect sort of the heightened tragedy of capitalist masculinity sure. that we ended up getting in this film. Uh, it was, I'm also not sure. Maybe I, maybe I'd enjoy it more a second time. Not only know how all these threads play out. Uh, I'm I also very found glad it one that I had exhausting experience. I'm very watch. glad I had that knowledge going into it, that it was going to be such like a mile a minute film. Cause I was able to like get ready for it, prep myself, sustain through the first hour. And it was really the last like 30 minutes that were really trying, but I, I didn't know how I was going to find another gear. I was like, surely we've seen the most intense this movie can nah, be. Nope. We've been winding this down. No. Um, it was like, it's hard. It's, I, I am rarely like shocked or elated in a movie theater. I don't really respond to spectacle anymore. I've like hit my max on that where it's just like, just give me one sort of moment that is so funny to me or so unique to me that I'll remember it forever. This movie is entirely that moment and it is uh, incredible to experience. I really want to see it again, knowing what I'm getting into <laughs> so mm. that maybe I don't have an anxiety attack multiple times through the movie. But I have not seen anything with so much spirit in a very, very long time. I think the only movie that I liked as much from this from last year was Parasite. Yeah, I think it was those are the two movies <laughs> that really made me excited mm-hmm. about movies. Austin, where where did you? Uh, uh, same place, basically. Yeah. I, I mean, I I, I think I, I, I my final like takeaway in terms of like where am I placing this in my own like list of films I've liked from recent years is that is that I, I almost like it more as um as a piece than a film. Do you know what I mean? Um I, I in in a in a very maybe appropriate analogy, it's like it's like a thing I want to look at at a distance, like or like a beautiful gem or like uh, a, a work that I'm like, wow, this is this is hitting me a certain way. This is really beautiful. This is really like overwhelming. This is really stressful. This has like all of these sensual experiences with it. I don't know that I love it the way I love other crime capers or even other things that get to this speed eventually. We, you know, you, you mentioned something like Goodfellas Final Act. I think some some of the Coen Brothers movies get there eventually. I think that's to some degree is just a personal bias towards characters I can fundamentally still connect to and root for. I think it's I think it's super well done that they brought me in as much as they did there. And I was it, it's a very tragic ending, and I I did want it to work out in the end for him. But I, I want a little it, that opening hurdle of like, man, this guy fucking sucks is is difficult. Um, but that doesn't make it a bad film. It doesn't make it a film that it just it doesn't quite hit my my top level. Kato, you did not miss a trick in this movie. Uh, so <laughs> I think you clearly had the best understanding of the plot. I of also anyone just here. recently I watched it yeah. last night. So yeah, so that helps a lot on the mind. Getting it's like getting punch in the head so yeah. it's like really easy to remember <laughs> immediately I definitely happens. feel like I didn't get to sleep as quickly as I normally do I didn't sleep that night at all just like, uh, I finished that I was like I gotta fly in three and a half hours uh, so right. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna roll through I'll take the dog out and that'll take an hour and then what's the fucking point uh, but but Kata, where like so like emotionally coming out of this film uh, where, do you, where do you land with it I mean yeah I think it it is like like Ida was saying, actually, it's just like something that um, it takes a lot to 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 truly get a a, a felt reaction rather than a thought reaction. Uh, I, I, uh, nowadays, I feel like um, I can analyze something 
as it's happening and uh, like I, I, I start thinking of plot and um, I start thinking of like, oh, well, this is obviously where this is going to go because I've seen this sort of thing before. Like I, yeah. I, I like try to like guess a little bit about like, oh, he's probably going to fail the, the last one. That's how it all fucks up in the end is like that bet's going to go wrong. Like I didn't have time to think about that. <laughs> Uh, watching this movie like it was um, so in like it's like it it was like watching a slow motion car wreck like you can't look away yeah um, but apart from that it also did have all of the the trappings of like when you think back on it like the the the, the there was still things to chew on after the fact and that I feel like is like a thing that a lot of movies like can't it, it feels like things will try to fall one way or the other and like they don't uh, either they don't really elicit uh, strong emotional reactions or they don't have a lot of substance after the fact to like really chew on. And I feel like this movie kind of has both. And uh, it was like, yeah. Yeah. I'd say, you know, I uh, don't have a lot of time to see movies in theaters. So I was sad I didn't get to see this one in theaters. But like the last movie I saw in theaters before Parasite was uh, like Avengers Endgame and like the big death at the end of that movie. I did cry, but I also like knew exactly how it was being manipulated. Yep. And like that really bugged me you out. You can see all the strings. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, yeah. You just like, I know this is the scene where I'm supposed to cry. Yeah. So my body is having that reaction. Right. But I don't know if I actually feel sad. This one made my body react mm. in really extreme ways. Yeah. And that's just incredible filmmaking. Patrick, uh, your, your final thoughts? I am hungry to the point of deliriousness. <laughs> I liked Christ. the movie. Cool. Okay. Uh, well, I watched it like a half hour ago, just like sad. Oh, yeah. I start, I start to laptop. feel sick at a point that I am hungry, so just, I just kind of checked out of the podcast. We, we need to take this man food. to a burger. Yeah. ASAP. I just want to say, I think it is the interview. What? I think. This is. Anytime you win, that's all the satisfaction you need, really. But in, uh, in order for us to win, man, we got to make different stance and we got to. Maybe it isn't. Uh, we gotta put, put some stops together. Mm. No. Those interviews are never as quick, as like yeah. succinct as it is in the, in the movie. Yeah. And they're also always boring. They never say anything interesting. Yeah. So I'm inclined to think they that took that footage bit and overdubbed right, it. That first though. That first bit that was like, nothing is as good as when you win feels yeah. accurate. I bet they took that and then overdubbed yeah, yeah, yeah. a little well, bit of it. We have to take Patrick. To get food. Uh, to get we got to feed Patrick. Our beautiful boy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we love him. Um, yeah. That's, look, we knew what it is. We knew what this is going in. Uh, we got to take care of Patrick. <laughs> Patrick, I'm about to eat a burger. <laughs> this is how I, I had a burger win. last night at Bernie's. Yeah. Oh. You were hanging out with Bernie? Yeah, what? me and Bernie Damn. and Rob. You went to Bernie's house? So mm-hmm. if Iowa didn't go well, uh, it's because it's, it's Patrick was <laughs> like, I want to get a burger. If, if, if Iowa didn't go well, this is how Bernie can still win. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that will do it for Uncut Gems, which I guess you can watch on Netflix. Yeah, uh, like so, immediately. Yeah. You fucking should. Yeah. Good. Um, it's real good. So our thanks to Too Mellow for the track Slide Asleep off the album After Midnight. You can find that at twomellowmakes.bandcamp.com. You can keep up with all of us at waypoint.vice.com. I'm Rob Zachney. You can find me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Uh, Kato, where can people find you? At A underscore Kato underscore appears. Gita. XOXO Gossip Gita. Patrick. At Patrick Klubik. Austin. At Austin underscore Walker. That will do it for this week's Waypoints. We hope you've enjoyed the break. Please be sure to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice, if it allows such a thing. 
I like to think we're a five-star podcast, and uh, certainly we make Patrick suffer so we can give you those five-star <laughs> run times. So uh, I think I think we I think you owe us this one, uh, but Jeez. I'm not. Wow. But I'm not going to like say that you. Okay, yes, I did. Yeah, just you say did. That. Yeah. If what? you made it this far, we have you way more. Lis- we have way more listeners than we do reviews. Reviews, reviews. and that's on you. That's not on us. I can't do <laughs> anything. Wait, me? But You're looking this. at me. No, I'm the, I'm, oh, the, the I'm speaking to the to the listener. Not not me. Patrick Us. is starving right. for five star reviews and actual food. <laughs> we can't do gags or Patrick's going to die. <laughs> right. Anyway, we will be back again with Waypoint Radio on Monday. Until then, podcasting is how we win. Well. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, <laughs> well, we're keeping that well. We had an executive yeah. tell yeah. us that once. Yeah, yeah. And I and the the teacher was like, "This this makes no sense. How are you like nearly failing this class, and you set the highest score in the exam?" And I was like, "The homework's boring, but like this is all just this is all just relationships and stuff." Yeah, yeah. But did you I not got do that with homework? Uh, SATs? No, I learned how to just read the test to understand what it was asking of me. Yeah. And I ended up only getting one question wrong on verbal and like passing the math, which was more than I thought I was going to do. Because I could just suddenly like read the question and understand this is a logic puzzle. This isn't actually testing me on what I know and testing me on whether or not I can read this question correctly. Yep. And, you know, like it goes a long way. It goes a really long way. I did very well on standardized tests because I figured that out really, really early. And my parents thought I was going to go to Yale and so but they never told me that because I scored really really well in a standardized test in like third grade and they're like oh we don't want to get her her to get conceited but we're going to push her really hard so she can go to Ivy League school so I just thought they hated me <laughs> you know I just thought they thought yeah. I sucked well done <laughs> yeah alright uh, we recording Kata uh, ask Steve Steve are we recording awesome thank you Steve perfect <laughs>